Me, I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Podeskew is a founding member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm Jamie. We're Married with Television, MarriedWithTV.com. We are a couple of Hollywood normies on the outskirts of the film and TV industry, and we talk about our favorite TV shows, music, and movies, and sometimes they talk back to us. Sometimes they do. Our podcast is Married with Television, one word, on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Possibly Amazon soon. And we are a proud member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Podeskew Podcast. I am TJ, and with me, wait, what? Yes, Rico is back. Am I? I fucked that up. Let's start over. No, it's fine. No, all right. I was gonna do it again, but that's all right. No, not because I want you to fuck up. Because you were you fucked up the last two times. Like, well, there's always my no, not always, motherfucker. No, last two I didn't do it on because you weren't there. Well, yeah, but then every previous episode of And With Me has always, no, you lying fuck. I know, I know. going forward, I'm going to have to leave off the always. Like, I just, yeah. With Me Occasionally is my <laughs> hetero life. <laughs> with Me Sometimes is my... <laughs> with Me Most of the Time. <laughs> What's going on? Well, hold on, I got I to gotta at least give you the, the, the last part. What's up, man? <laughs> and now I can just call you a motherfucker and mean it. <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, oh man! So what's going on? You're, uh, uh, I've moved into your new digs finally, huh? Yes, we moved in. Um, I mean, we're like, let me let me put it this way: we're like sixty percent done because we obviously we're like in a living situation. We we've got our bed, we got our couch, we got our entertainment shit. Not everything is out and displayed. Like the PlayStation is not hooked up. The Xbox three hundred and sixty is not hooked up. I thought the 360 um, was. Oh, not the you, the one is not the 360. The one is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I've got my dis- my DVDs displayed, and my mom is pushing me to get the VHSs out of her fucking garage. So <laughs> that so, but and we also have uh, as of now, we've got storage still in Steph's units. So yeah. like, we got more stuff to bring out, and we're. <laughs> we're we're kind of mentally preparing how to fucking do that. We're gonna just hire some guys and lo- have them load up a truck and then bring the shit here and then just say, all right, dump it in. The, if there's space, dump it in the unit. We will yeah. figure it out. Well, it's gonna be a lot of. Ah, uh, we don't need this. Okay, get rid of that. Ah, uh, we don't need this. Let's get rid of that. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I guess the argument could be made that you you could have done that when she first moved there too, but that's you know. 
Um, when when she first moved out here from SoCal, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was that was harder to to manage, and and she we did do that a little bit. Like you know, she's like she had to sacrifice a lot of shit when she sure. got and, here. And there was some, there's some. I mean, without getting into specifics, because there's really no point. But there's some. I I know from talking to both of you, there's some emotional attachment to some of those items that may not be as strong as it was, say, two years ago or whatever it was when she moved out there. So you know, right. Yeah. My rule of thumb for stuff going through stuff. <laughs> is uh Stephanie is uh <laughs> is um if you are staring at it for more than a minute it means you really should want you should keep it if you if if it brings like a fond memory you really should consider keeping it like she was telling me about all these stuffed animals and like stuff that she had like forever and I said, honey, we'll, we will find a fucking space. Yeah, that, like, that's will... I was talking about the furniture, not the stuff. There's animals. really not that much furniture. It's like oh, I thought there was. Giant... Well, it's it's a lot of boxes of stuff. Gotcha. But there gotcha. is like a giant cabinet thing that like was part of her family forever. And it actually was two. And when she moved out here, she took one and into the garage. And... So we had that for like, you know, whatever, however long we were in the garage, like, you know, three or four months. And then we had a massive rain and a massive fucking leak. And it ruined the top of the this cabinet. That we oh, had I don't think you ever told me about that. That's crazy. I mean, it happened, yeah. unfortunately, with storage units. But yeah. Actually, I, now I think but we had both of them in. But the leak fucked up one of them. One of them. Yeah, like yeah. Just, and I mean, the, like half, like the drywall like came down like it was it was not just like a little drip it was like oh we came back and the ceiling's in right you know and so we like we tried cleaning it up but stuff was like it's ruined and i feel i still feel so bad about that because i'm like you've had this thing for 30 years in your family and then it spends three months with me and it's just fucking and she doesn't blame me but the old right. guy already still in the garage the guy is currently staying there has it he has no fucking clue what it means to to anybody he's just like oh yeah nice piece of furniture like yeah well it's slowly killing you because it's covered in mold you fucking idiot <laughs> well um without naming names them. here the tenants on that property are not exactly the brain oh yeah power. Can, I, can, I, can i talk about that for a second can i tell if, you, what my, you what my day if, was yesterday if you want to yeah <laughs> sure oh fucking shiza manelli um <laughs> So I've talked. I don't know if I've ever named him. I don't think you I, have. Yeah. And I don't. I mean, I kind of don't give a fuck. But like, he is a real dude. But this guy is uh, was staying upstairs for like the past couple years. And I mean, when I first met him, he was very polite. You know, he's a very tall uh, Eritrean young man, and he has a real name. But my dad didn't bother trying to remember it or, or pronounce it so he just dubbed him Vito like he just he just knighted a, a, a tall Eritrean guy like I dubbed thee Vito like you're a, now you're an honorary honorary Dago and for the most part this guy was fine um, and he you know he's a he's a service driver and and for the most part we got along we got along on music he actually you know since he's roughly my age and being used to myself, I'm not really, I don't really come across a whole lot of young Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin fans. 
I didn't know he was that young. Honestly, I thought he was older. Not like now, like Ron older, but I, older. No, no, he's like tw- no, but that's the thing is that his age is kind of a factor because he acts like like a really fucking stereotypical bratty twenty five year old, and and the shit he was saying yesterday was fucking astounding. Right? No, I'm just saying. I thought he was closer to my age though. No. Yeah. So, but so periodically over the years little glimpses of of negativity were coming out of him and i know he came from you know another country and it was it's different and i'm not trying to generalize or 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 say anything but like he 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 lives life very differently than i do he's very more lax smokes a lot of pot does a lot of mushrooms and and thinks that's helping him in life and i don't really do that shit right i'm not saying that's it's bad to do that. I'm just saying this is the motherfucker who was like doing it almost every day, like mushrooms. And I'm like, that's not helping you, buddy. Like he even tried to like sell me some. And I was like, no, like I'll buy mushrooms and I'll do mushrooms in the future. Yeah. Not, did, not from this motherfucker. This is some bad juju shit. Did, did you, um, when you just said no that way, do you remember the scene in men in black too? When Will Smith's fighting all the like bounty hunters, Oh, the low, like, yeah. no. Yeah, it, it just made me think of that. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I could talk about all the other shit that he did over the couple years, but, like, yesterday I finally, like, I've had problems with him where he and I argued, and he so stupidly thought that, like, he has more weight with my dad than I do. Like, he's just so... He thinks that he's like untouchable, and I and I we like a year ago I had an argument with him, and I thought I told him I said, "Dude, there's been a hundred versions of you before you came along, and unfortunately there'll be a hundred more after you. You are a blip in the biography of my father. I'm one of his fucking sons. What do you yeah. think you you think you're going to compare to me? What the fuck is wrong with you?" So we. <laughs> I'm cleaning the blinds downstairs because, you know, here at, on, on, at my house and his bedroom was, <laughs> because he's, that, he's gone, was directly above where I was cleaning. I was cleaning the blinds in my living room and all of a sudden I just see a steady stream of urine. And I know it was urine because there was definitely a brief second pause. So there was a shake <laughs> and I... And I know his window is directly above mine. And we had rain two days ago. This was not rain. This was a one stream of piss. So I, I go upstairs, and my dad has a cleaning lady, also a uh, Eritrean or Ethiopian. I, I don't know what she was, but she was sure, sure. one of the variations. So I she's cleaning the bathroom. So I go up to the door, and I knock on the door, and I said, Vito, what the fuck? He said, what? I said, did, did you just piss out your fucking window? He said, yeah, don't come at me like that, bro. You know, you need to back off. And I'm like, he immediately got really fucking hostile. And I said, first off, you don't get fucking be offended when I'm offended that you pissed out a fucking window above my head. Like right now, like he, if he had a stronger stream, he would have hit my fucking car. Right. Like that's like, it, you know, I'm thinking of, of how gross it is, how disrespectful it is, how stupid it is. Like, dude. I get, and he's like, she's cleaning the bathroom. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Hold it like we all fucking do. Ask her to leave for 30 seconds so you could take a piss. 
come downstairs and ask me, like, hey, man, I really don't want to bother you, but do you mind if I use your bathroom really quickly? Like, do something apart from being an asshole. So he says, don't come at me. Don't curse at me. And I said, fuck you. And that's the opposite of what he wanted. And I was inclined to give it to him. So I walk away. Dad hears us bitching at each other. So he asked me, what the fuck is going on? And I said, this motherfucker just pissed out his window. And, you know, above my head. I'm cleaning the blinds. What the fuck? And dad goes up and starts yelling at him, don't piss out here. What the fuck's wrong with you? And, and then it became a complete fucking meltdown. Everybody was screaming at each other. And at this point, dad's saying, I want you the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Give me your key. Pack your shit. Get the fuck out. And we're and this is going on for like 20 minutes. And Vito <laughs> tried asking the fucking... Um, he wanted the cleaning lady to be a witness. She's kind of getting involved, like yelling at both of us to calm down and, and let's not fucking throw punches, which was getting to the point. And... And Vito and I are just screaming at each other, and I'm and I'm saying, get the fuck out of my house. Like, it's not your house. And I'm like, really? I didn't take my first fucking step where you're standing? Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Do you not know who the fuck I am? And he's a really, really, really tall dude, and I'm not. And it was getting close to, like, I kept thinking, like, I really don't want to fucking die or get beaten up over this stupid fuck yeah all because he pissed outside like we're all men we pissed outside that's kind of one of the few freedoms Generally not out a window of a second not story a though fucking window you know like yeah worst case dude piss in a sink like a barbarian don't piss out the window or something yeah i don't know the bathtub. yeah well the bathtub's busy too but yeah anyway um you know so it, it the the argument went outside we we're screaming at each other and then and then I, you know, he threatened me. He he said, you know, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. And I said, bring it, bitch. I'll fucking come. And I, I took that. I said, look, I'm, I don't need to deal with this shit on a day by day basis. I don't need to look over my shoulder. I don't need to look at my car and see if it's been damaged. I don't need to look at Steph's car and see if it's been damaged. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how irrational this fuck is. So I called the cops and Good. I, and I, and I made a, a report and then they, so they were going to send a trooper out. They didn't because they called dad and asked him. And he said, nah, don't send a trooper out. Just, you know, I want their record of this. And then Vito was packing his shit. And he was walking by me. And he said, are you a fucking snitch? And I said, yeah, snitches are, you know, reserved for people when other people do stupid and dangerous shit. Yeah. Like threaten me. You know, like, I, didn't, I, I just want there to be a record. So if something happens there. Sure. You know, that, that, was, that was my main point of view. And and that was it. He he tried coming back and tried apologizing. And Dad and I were both like, no, nah, dude, no. Nah. Like, you said some shit you can't walk away from. You, we, we've been dealing with you for two fucking years. He actually, this is what I said, like, when he was like my age, but in a negative kind of way. Like, he was screaming at the top of his lungs that we were jealous of him and that, I was like, jealous of what, dude? And he's like, I've, I came to this country 10 years ago and I've already achieved more than you guys put together. And I'm like, really? You own a house? You got a, you got a house, uh, you know, a, a farm a hundred miles away. You, you, you're, you've achieved that much. What? You're, you're a fucking Lyft driver in a nice car. Congratulations. Like, I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> you didn't achieve something. 
I'm just saying the 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 uh, narrow mindedness and the uh, the idiocy of him saying that he achieved more than my dad. Like that was, I was like, bitch, I've got my own apartment downstairs. You don't even use the bathroom. Who's achieving what here? Yeah, for real. And then um, he changed his tune that we were racist. So I said, well, which is it? Are we jealous or are we racist? Are we jealous that you're black? Because I, I mean, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So yeah. he's just throwing all the darts. Just, just, just throwing wall. everything at the wall. Yeah, I got you. So, um, and then he fucked off, and then, and then that was it. Well, at least that's over. I mean, it's done. For now, I mean, for, yeah, it's well, been a day. Yeah. Let's, let's. Yeah, right. Ne- next week. Hey, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to take this this opportunity real quick because we actually have a guest joining us tonight. Uh, she, she, and yes, it's a she. The sausage party is being broken up for once because we tend to have more male guests. I realized that than I realized. You know, we didn't do it on purpose, but it just works out that way. But yes, she will be joining us, and it is not Stephanie. Surprise. Um, but. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank both Sam and Russ, Sam from the 500 Section Lounge and uh, Russ from Infectious Groove for filling in while you were dealing with all your moose stuff, especially Russ for last minute. Like, Sam, we planned, and then you and I sat down, uh, you know, tried to do an episode, and your internet, before you got it actually connected, like the internet that you were kind of borrowing from Ron... Was like, off of, yeah. yeah, was like, fuck you. <laughs> so it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, I, that was that was a crawl speed, which is weird because it was fine on the get vocal. Yeah, I, I, I even I even referenced that with the episode when I recorded with Russ. I was like, you know, for those of you that watched get vocal this week, you know, uh, we got lucky. <laughs> yeah. We got very lucky. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was bad. It was like. Like CJ and I were trying to communicate, and then we ended up just texting, like yeah. or or writing. We were writing in the chat. We we're just like, this is just not working, motherfucker. Yeah. So we we you know. So thanks, big thanks to both Sam and Ross, but Ross especially just again for like stepping up last minute. You know, because we literally called him two hours earlier. We're like, can you record? Oh no, it was instant. It was like. Well, no, I mean, from the time that I actually sat down and recorded with him was like two hours oh, from yeah okay. when I actually texted him. Um, so yeah, thanks to those guys for coming out. Thanks to the odd pod. I mean, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things. I said this on the recording last time too, about it's one of the beautiful things about being part of this network odd pods is because now we have these people and we've always had friends we could reach out to, but especially with the network, we have people we can like reach out to and be like, Hey, look, we're, we're in a jam here. You know, yeah, we're so. short a guy. Who do you got? Yeah, I don't care and, who it is. Just get and, him on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you kind of hope that the reverse would go, that they would reach out to one of us in a, in a pinch and be like, Hey, we need. We need help, you know. So speaking of which, did you uh, appear on uh, on something? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was on Infectious Groove. It's it's basically like an uh, a impromptu, unplanned two part episode. You start with Potterskew, and it kind of ends up on uh, Infectious Groove because we both dropped them on the same day. So wow. it was it's it's it was a lot of fun on both. I hope anyone that's listening to our show went and listened to that one too. Not just because I was there, but it it first off, Infectious Groove is a badass show. And Don't then, be deterred that I'm not on any of these. Just go, you know, it's still good quality shit, even if I'm not there. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw also before we get into this, but I, uh, or before our, our guest who's been waiting patiently joins us. Um, but we also have been, res- we've been requested to do a new uh, commentary. I don't know if you saw. Oh, um, I commented. Oh, no, I saw you comment, but I would. Uh, 
theater of the mind, my friend, for our listeners. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but we, yeah, we've been asked, and I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off, but we've been asked to do a house party, kid and play yeah. from back in the day. I've I, never seen, so I have to watch it and so before I can do a commentary. Yeah, I don't know if she wants us to do just the first one or. I can say, listen, because I know she's listening. If you're hearing this, we will commentary one of them. But if you want us to talk about it, we could do all three. But you know, yeah, you know. Um, but we're not we're not going to commentary all four or three or I forget. There's three or four of them. Um, but yeah, weren't they making a reboot or something? Like I, I, I could have sworn I, I thought they were making a sequel or something. I heard that, but I think it got uh, canned. Okay. So, which honest, honestly, the house party went foreclosed. I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes, people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouth feel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Introducing Venture X, Capital One's new travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars, and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel, and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Yeah, well, I mean, if I recall, I know, listen, it's been a long time since I've seen these, but um, as far as I can t- remember, there that was the premise of one of them. Like, they found this, like, foreclosed home and that's where they had the house party it wasn't at yeah um so there are four of them hold on uh one of them's directed a video okay that's it and that was in 2001 all right so we don't count that one that one's bullshit uh the other three (laughs) are the well no because if i'm seeing this right kid and play aren't in the fourth one at all so you know i don't know all right well anyway uh let's get our guest in our, our guest and wonderful friend and first time we've had her on the show for our proper fucking discussion which blew my goddamn mind when i realized it um yeah. uh so i'd like to welcome back from body count jessica how are you dear i'm here You're- i'm in the groove um i'm not gonna lie guys i'm a little bit wee bit nervous i was nervous for this normally when, when i go on to things it's very structured. You're going to talk about this. You're either going to be a history talking head or you're going to be a professional ass clown and nothing in between. You don't have the option to be yourself. No one's interested in that. So it's very, I was very, very nervous coming into this going, oh my God, I've got to be myself for multiple hours talking about one of my favorite things in the world, which is Mel Brooks. And I just don't know what to do with it. That's an anxiety space for me. <laughs> well, you should be fine because you did, you've been doing good when you've been coming on, get vocal, which is no, yeah. really not that different. That's true. This, this is, this is just a, a pre-recorded version of a get vocal without other people interrupting essentially is what this boils <laughs> down to. Um, oh. the, we, and, there will be people interrupting, see? Oh, well, yeah. 
Um, but the, you know, and, and just, I will just say we've gotten the ass clown side of you and we love that too. So, I mean, cause we have two episodes of evidence of that. So. Evidence face of a down, drinking problem. Up. Yep. Face yeah. down, ass clown up. That's the way I go. I go uh, hard in the paint. Sports um, reference. Enjoy it. So. I've never seen someone who's like the opposite of Pennywise. <laughs> Like nickel dub. Oh, you know, Rico, I've been meaning to tell you, but we haven't we really haven't recorded together since um since Halloween the holiday because of you know your move and everything. Um and Deb didn't tell me about this well the last time we did record together, but apparently on Halloween, on that day, someone drove around town and tied red balloons with white string to all the fucking grates. I saw that. That yeah. was a that was a thing that was like really popular when the first it came out. I mean the remake first part. Right, right, right. And I actually, like, someone took it even a step further. They, like, lifted the grate in the sewer and, like, fucking put, like, a like a picture of Pennywise just, like, looking through. So, oh, like, okay. Someone was walking by and they just saw, like, Pennywise, like, Hi there, Georgie, don't you want a balloon? <laughs> That's funny. I'm super excited because next year I am going to have everything from, like, gothic uh literary to uh, specific portions of history we're going to do a 31 for 31 with academics oh. and so uh, the person that's going to do that with me on patreon we've been putting together quite the list of things and i'm just ready next halloween to have a whole bunch of horror movies ruined for me because of course we're starting with the shining and I'm like, oh, you fucking, like, all those ivory tower fucks are going to ruin everything for my childhood. That's just how I view it. And believe it or not, I'm super excited for it. Um, but I did the other day. I had not seen the horror movie Possum. But I understand it's got somebody from the Mighty Boosh that's involved with it. So that got added to the list. So not only am I going to have to have all my favorites ruined... I'm going to have to have movies I've never seen ruined. And I'm really <laughs> pumped for it. There you go. I'm really pumped for it. But I thought, since you guys got in the Halloween spirit this year, it would be a fun thing to have you guys do that and we gang up on whoever my guest may be, illustrious or not. Just, like, pile on to why are you ruining a good movie. I, we, we, could, we could do that. I think we could... Bring her. Rico, Rico's gonna be better at that than I am. I, I I'll ruin it just by saying how much I hate a particular film. But I mean, that's yeah. You know. If we're talking about like Halloween, then it would just be me and him arguing, and then you and your partner just being like, "Hey, you're supposed to. Let, we're supposed to gang up on this fucking person, not all on CJ." Because I, yeah. I, because I can't stand that fucking film. I think it's terrible. Um, but well, that's you're the worst. Yes, so you're not we'll the first person that. to tell me that. So, um, but we're also here. Yeah, but, yeah, but she told you that before she knew. That's that you didn't true. Like Halloween. This mm -hmm, is true. Mm -hmm. Jess has been telling me that for over a year. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're here to ruin another movie. Um, no, not really. Um, but we are here to discuss a separate movie. Um, and being what Body Count is a a history podcast. It made perfect sense to have you as part of this conversation, Justin. And and then we find out to our surprise that you fucking love the film, which makes it that much even better. Um, and so tonight we're going to talk about History of the World Part 1, the Mel Brooks classic from 1981. Um, great, great fucking film. 
Um, you know, Rico, I, I, I think the last time we talked on Get Vocal, you were like, you're going to watch this thing and be like, I fucking hated it, and then you're just going to be angry at me. And I'll tell you right now, no, 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 that's what he was expecting me to say, Jess, not that that's how I felt. He was expecting me to say that. And it's not the case. I actually... I actually put it up there in terms of those like goofy comedies with Holy Grail, like an American Holy Grail in in terms of quality, not topic. Sure. The topic's completely different. And and as much as I love Mel Mel's other movies, because I love Spaceballs, um, not so much Men in Tights, but I'm not saying I don't like it, but it's it's lower on my list if I was like ranking out Mel's movies and then Young Frankenstein, but. I would put this one at the top of the list for me for Mel's Mel's films. You don't have to love everyone, CJ. That's the beauty of it. It's yeah. just good to be the king if you're it, Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah, nicely done early. Look at this shit. I um, can't help myself. I it's love fine. that line. I my, my second favorite line in that scenario is when he snorts some coke, and then he like kind of. Let's it hit him. That's so green. Yes, I love it. So, so green. green. <laughs> and I didn't even realize it, but the first time I, I went to, I flew to North Carolina and I walk out and everything is just fucking green. And without even meaning to or aware that I was making a reference, I was like, everything's so green. And my, and, uh, my mom's boyfriend, Maxwell, was like, it's good to be the king. <laughs> I, <laughs> to be I, the king. Yeah. Uh, the best, everything's so green. I was taking a, a very prestigious art history class once, and I was early because I was coming back, believe it or not, on a cocaine-fueled uh, study night, if one will, and I walk into the professor about to go in the lecture hall as well, and he's looking at, there was a green, the hall was green. It was painted a, a particular, like, soothing moss green. And he's just looking at it, and he turns to me, and he was a weird guy anyway, way too much LSD back in the 60s, but it was what it was. And he looks at me, and he goes, everything's so green. And I go, okay, doctor, um, is that like a Mel Brooks reference, or are you just like everything's so green? And he goes, both. Let's go learn about Botticelli. And it was like one of my favorite. <laughs> 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 it was like, okay. Good. Everything's uh, so green because he was still on LSD. That's why. Oh, that's exactly right. He's uh, yeah. he's doing the opposite of who was it that did the bit about I never had the acid flashbacks. Is um, he Larry? Norm McDonald. When he's oh. talking about acid, he thought he was getting his money's worth for $10. I never had acid flashbacks, though. They lied to me. This guy had done some of that sunshine CIA shit, so he was definitely getting his money's worth, okay? All the time. Oh, I want there man. to be a crossover History of the World Part 1 and the Muppets, just so like, Kermit can fucking say that line and then look in the mirror. Everything's so green! The history of my life is best summed up, and I saw this, this movie at a very young age and always have loved it since, but when Madeline Kahn is coming in, so you have all these great shots of just tits with the Vester virgins, right? Like, just almost nip slips. Mm -hmm. And then you see somebody throwing down rose petals. 
And the beautiful Madeline Kahn comes in and just all her glory dressed as the empress. And then she slips on one of the rose petals and is like, all right, knock that shit off. I almost fell. It's the entire story of my life. You make an entrance and somebody's like, oh, I think you've got your shit together. You slip on that and then cut that shit out. I almost fell. <laughs> I even, even when they introduce her earlier, she's like, all right, can you march? On the same foot at the same time. My tits are falling falling off. off. (laughs) I am, you know, Rigo, we typically start at the beginning of the film, but I I will say that um, I actually know her better from Clue than I do from this film. I can see that. I mean, Madeline Kahn was definitely a legend who died too young. Yeah. I looked her uh, up. I premise. Yeah. yeah, she's beautiful and hilarious and everything that I always wanted to be. Like Madeline Kahn's my icon, man. I could see that. <laughs> Your icon. <laughs> Your Madeline icon. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, see what see what he yes. did there. See what he did there. See, I I actually was aware of Madeline Kahn before I saw Younger Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles or History of the World. Because I had like a Sesame Street, like best of clips or something. And there was her and Grover singing together a song called Be My Echo. And that was the first time I was aware of Madeline Kahn because she trained opera like as an opera singer, but like obviously didn't go full opera. Um, But she still had like an amazing singing voice. And she's singing with Grover, and the, the, the song is obviously, be my echo, and then Grover, be your echo, like, does that back and forth. And then it becomes a, like, a competition. She does, like, this long operatic, you know, aria, and then Grover just, like, leads and says, show off. <laughs> and, and, and the look of, and she actually laughed. Like, it almost looked like Frank Oz ad-lib that to fuck with her because the laugh looked genuine. And then, like, she was in um, A Bug's Life. I think her last movie that was released before her death was the voice of the butterfly or the moth or whatever in the circus troupe of A Bug's Life. And she had such a distinct voice that I I remember being, like, whatever young age it was, I was like, I know that fucking voice. And sure enough, it was Madeline Kahn. So no, her last movie was uh, Judy Berlin as Alice Gold is the character. I don't know anything about it, but that's the last film she was in. The last thing she the press is like everybody knows that old gem, you know, like no. Uh, last movie that mattered, Rico. You're right. Excuse me. <laughs> I think I think Edie Falco would would disagree with you there, but okay, that's fair enough. Um, yeah. So, and then she was she was in that actually. You know, it's ironic, Rico, because on on our last get vocal, we were talking Bill Cosby briefly, and she was in that that last Cosby show that was on, like not that one that with Felice, not the one with Theo, but like that relaunch that he did right after. She was on that show for a handful of episodes. So, um, but yeah, I thought about doing a Bill Cosby impression, and I figured I would not. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, but anyway. So I, I want to go back to the if it's all right with you guys, I'd I'd like to jump back to the beginning of the film though because I, I our forefathers, yeah, our forefathers, and then not only that, but like 
I I knew Sid Caesar was in the film, but yet still didn't realize it was Sid Sid Caesar because you know it's. Can I marvel the fact that Sid Caesar was in way better shape than I initially thought he was going to be? Like, <laughs> like he had a right. perfect caveman physique, and his name is Sid Caesar. Like. Not to mention, why the fuck they didn't put him in a Roman scene at, with his last name as Caesar? I was like, Mel, you dropped the fucking perfect punchline right there. No, because you know, should have played Nero. But yeah, Dom Dom still killed it though. I'm sorry, like Dom DeLuise as Dom Caesar. killed a lot in that scene. Dom killed a fucking goose. Hey, yeah. watch this. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I thought it was a mallard, but that's whatever. I'm not going to argue whatever, with Whatever, yeah. man. That thing was not happy. <laughs> Would you be? Not at all. <laughs> um, not at all. But yeah, um, man. No, I love that. And just even as lame as I am, like, the beginning, and, and I'm not uh, by any means a an ancient historian or Neolithic one, but of course, I love the, the cave painting nod since we were talking about art history earlier, and just like the Mel Brooks conception of turning something that's this dawning turning point of man into something that's completely laughable and hilarious and great. Um, and also something, you know, just like wanking in the age of man, which I think is just such a fucking well done. Exactly. Uh, right. CJ I, relates. See, I thought that was just funny. It was just a funny <laughs> joke. Like our forefathers are just jerking off like crazy but I actually realized there's a a pun without being explicitly said. Homo erectus. Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Can you imagine what Orson Welles was like? Well, wait, wait, no, no, saw stop. That? Stop. He because... read it in a day, so I think Orson Welles was pretty okay with whatever the, hap- the hell happened in well, that. Like, So it, it's funny you brought that up, Rico, because one of the extras on the Blu-ray that I bought for this week to, to be ready for the episode it was talking to Mel and he talked about Orson coming in and narrating the whole film and first off he paid Orson Welles for a week worth of work 25 G's for goddamn like caviar and cigars turned out because the dude was done by noon he's Orson yeah. Welles no he, he said it took the whole day they took a lunch break at noon but it did take the whole day um, but it took one day and he paid him for a week but but he he said that that you know Orson was great and and really actually had a lot of fun with it from what he said. But definitely came in and they showed him that scene to start. They started it from the beginning and he looked at the he looked at um what was the guy's name Rudy DeLuca, you know, yeah. sitting there dragging himself off as a caveman or whatever he was, and and he's just looking at the screen like what the fuck am i reading about but then he said he said he said he got that look but then he was like he was he was Orson Welles he was he was him he's like all right let's do this and he just kept going and and, and did it and killed it but i love orson welles and i'm going to deviate from mel brooks for a minute if sure. you guys are fans of the dean martin roast the one yes. in which they roast dean martin I think it's one of the most brilliant bits ever when Orson Welles just gets up and reads something like, when the moon hits your eye, 
like a big pizza pie and looks at Dean Martin and just says, oh, it's so profound, you know, and is making fun of it. So that is what I imagine, like the energy that Orson Welles took into recording everything with this is looks at somebody literally wanking off to the dawn of man, Homer Erectus, and then just goes, how profound and reads it anyway in the Orson Welles like sense and plays it straight like he he did it like he was narrating the quest for fire which is also really you have to like acknowledge at this time in 1981 there was like three movies that were coming out that had to do with like cave shit and like Neanderthal shit I, don't, I know one of them was History of the World. One of them was Quest for Fire. I don't remember what the third one was. I, I don't think it was Clan of the Cave there, but I think that came a little later. But for for audiences to go see Quest for Fire and then just see our, for, our forefathers, you know, just... <laughs> and I'm glad you pulled out Rudy DeLuca, CJ, because well, Rudy yeah. is... The unspoken hero in a lot of Mel Brooks shit. He is the most frequent collaborator with Mel for screenwriting. You, he's always a bit player. He was he's in Dracula Dead and Loving It as a guard. He plays uh, Pizza the Hut's sort of robot henchman. Oh, is that him? That's Rudy okay. Luca. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's in High Anxiety, which is another one of my favorite um, Mel Brooks films. It's where he spoofs all the Hitchcock shit. Rico, you're not talking about Caveman, right? Caveman came out that year. Yeah, maybe, maybe I am. Because there's no, you were saying there were three, and the three I'm seeing is the two you already mentioned, and the only one that's coming up that looks potentially it's, right. It, it, I think that's what it was. I think you're right. Okay, yeah, sorry. But and and I didn't realize this, but I think Rudy DeLuca also started. I, I I'm I'm gonna fuck this up. He started a comedy store. He I think he started the comedy store in L.A. Like he opened up the like. One of the more prestigious, like, groundbreaking comedy nightclub uh, arenas, areas, you know, for struggling stand-up comics. He co- <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Odin started it, um, but it may be the comedy store. I'm trying to. Uh, his name is not on the cast list on Wiki, believe it or not. I, I know he's in yeah, the film, but. He's sort of a. He's, he's lesser known. He, he would probably be more. Less as an actor, but more as a screenwriter. Yeah, um, but I mean, he, he's got a couple pretty um, prominent parts in the film. But just getting back to what Jess was saying real quick about, about uh, Orson Welles and how she loved the fact that he did the, the Dean Martin roast, I'm amazed they got him to do Transformers. 
because I think that's one. Of, I think it's one of the last things, if not the last thing, he did before he passed. Is he he voiced the main bad guy for the Transformers movie? He was Unicron. Orson Welles is a professional. Like whatever it may be, he's gonna go in there. He's gonna do the bit. Like right. he's gonna commit to it. When you've got Citizen Kane in your pocket, you really don't need anyone's approval anymore, do you? <laughs> yeah, but like, True. also, like, you've seen that infamous commercial he tried filming where he got drunk as shit on champagne, like, just increasingly flubbing. And it was great because, like, he was. I, even Maurice LaMarche who voiced Brain in Peaking the Brain does a standout spot yes. impression of Orson Welles. Yes. Even made a joke. Like they, they included a whole joke in Peaking the Brain of this infamous Orson Welles getting shit face. Like, oh my God, it's so great. Um, and Rico- even that he does to perfection. Uh, I could do a whole other show on my deep love for Maurice Lamar. She also does a great Vincent Price. Which yes, I he uh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, Rico, just to confirm, he did open up the, uh, Rudy DeLuca did open the comedy store with Sammy Shore. It was the two of them together. Good. You were right. Um, but the, the, yeah, man, that, that sequence with, with Sid Caesar, the whole, the whole caveman thing. I even like, you know, going back to the story you told at the very beginning, Rico, the, the art critic, I mean, that pretty much applies. No, 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 no. The story you told at the very beginning of tonight's recording about what you were dealing with yesterday. Uh-huh. And then you got the art critic. Do you remember mm-hmm. peeing on yeah. the cave Yeah, painting? yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't make the connection, but yeah. So, um, you have that, and then, uh, and then, and then it... It, it skips around a little bit. I the one thing is I haven't seen this in a while, and I still enjoy it, and it still holds up. I got no no complaints with it. But I I remembered the beginning being longer. I remember the beginning being longer, and I remember the the, um, the Spanish Inquisition being longer than it was. And it's a, it's a fairly lengthy piece, but I remembered it for some reason being longer than it was. That's not complaints as much as just saying that. Like when I went back and watched it last night, I was like, oh. That's short. <laughs> I remember that being. Well, so. neither of them are as long as the entire French Revolution segment. I mean, that that's half the movie. I felt like the Roman and Empire we was pigeonhole. We get pigeonholed hard into the Roman Empire, but there there are a lot of different things that I think he's trying to do there, and a lot of homages, which I really appreciate. So, in which part? I understand. Like how it was broken up oh, and how yeah. he focused on some bits that maybe were others, and a lot of it to do was. Was with audience testing, which mm-hmm. I get, you know, the Three Mile Island scene supposedly was cut due to audience testing. A oh. little too fresh for folks, probably. In 81, oh. probably. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, he wanted to put a scene of like a cat and a dog hybrid thing or like a dog <laughs> human Mom hybrid. and pop human yeah. like cat dog hybrid, which um, I would have laughed at, but you know. My bar's pretty low, folks, so I wouldn't yeah, judge you're on by here. me. Yeah, you, 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 right? you're on. I'm on my own. I host my own show, so, you know, mm-hmm. bar's low. <laughs> I think the first incarnation of me understanding Jewish humor was Mel Brooks as Moses being <laughs> yelled at by God, voiced by Carl Reiner, the late, great Carl Reiner. And he says... Just the, just the, like, Moses, 
Here are my laws, and you shall present them to the people. And he's like, do you hear me? I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man can hear you. What? <laughs> no, nah, nothing. A minute of sugar. <laughs> nothing, nothing. He walks off like in just yellish nonsense. Um, but, but I also love that scene was very ad hoc and something that they decided to do even while they were on set. And he was looking at the caveman set and going, oh, shit, I got to do Moses, right? Like, it's here, it's set up, and it was a huge budget film. For a Mel Brooks production, this was a massive budget that they had for History of the Worlds. And, I mean, it was, like, his three previous movies combined into this budget. So I'm glad that Alice's there looking at sets going, hell, I've got it. I might as well do Moses. Yeah. I I agree though. I also like the fact that the opening, um, meaning like the, the graphics and the, the on screen and like a film by Mel Brooks and that whole thing felt very, um, I know Rico, you've never seen this, but Jess, I don't, not sure if you have, but it felt very, um, 10 commandments. It had that vibe from the Ten Commandments film, you know. Of course I've seen that. I always tell people when I say things in any kind of meaning, so let it be written, so let it be done. I think I'm also an incarnation of Yul Brynner, you know. But there you go. That's, it's, that's its own, and that's between me and my therapist, not you guys, okay? so <laughs> we're, not your, we're not your other therapist? I mean, in a way, yes. Like uh-huh. the, the healthier type, you know, the one that's not trying to tell me what the hell's wrong with me. Y'all just have light interventions with me, which I appreciate. So, oh, good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what, our, that's what our Friday nights are for. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but, you know, getting back to the Moses scene real quick, like one of the things that I, you know, Rico, you talk about the, the joke about, yeah, you know, anyone could hear it, whatever. I love the fact that, like, when he's getting up on the, on the rock to present it to the people, and he trips on his own robe and drops one of them. And he's like, I have these fifth, oh, these 10, these 10 commandments. And I'm like, that, that made me laugh like out loud. So I actually don't have it in front of me, but someone managed to like zoom in and look at what the other five were. Yeah. And they were in Hebrew and they actually translated. It was like, don't swallow or don't. <laughs> like it was there they were like really like ridiculous ones it was like don't um don't breathe or or something it was very like of all the ones that were going to drop these were okay like it wasn't like <laughs> man he fucked up that much you know you know rico if kevin ever remade this movie which he never would because you know he's got too much respect for it but if he was to try to do something like that one of those rules would be never go ask the mouth right yeah although if, if kevin did it he would be burning the bush and inhaling. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a scene that's very Kevin-esque later in the film when you're in the Roman yeah. in the Roman Empire. The um, Roman Red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, just a quick commentary on that, which I also appreciate as well, because, again, I didn't plug what my show was at all, but I will tell you I am an historian for your listeners that don't know and just view me as a professional ass clown i also do the real deal stuff on the no, side we were gonna let you um, plug but, i promise but go ahead what do, what do you got but um what i love about it too is almost it's like this postmodernist commentary on religion and theology because a lot of times you have especially um more modern day extremist kind of protestant sects that uh fuel the conservatives if you will that this belief that 
Well, God wants men to know what God wants men to know. Thus, we have the reiterations of the Bible, everything else. And almost it's kind of a silly commentary, not just on Judaism uh, and monotheism, but it's also kind of a funny commentary on how you look at, oh, man, that wasn't convenient. Man fucked up. Oh, well, this is the translation. You know, 10 commandments, if you will. So it's also kind of, to me, when I watch that, a funny nod to the head of not necessarily modern theology in an academic sense, but like Baptist theology or Methodist, like everybody has their play on what it was that uh, a creationist being in my head, Dr. Manhattan, you know, is is (laughs) (laughs) imparting to humans. Oh, but we get to say, but you know, it's divinely inspired, but also we'll just say what this is. And I thought that was kind of a funny commentary on that in and of itself. Hey, well, Rico, to jump around. Yeah. I uh, know I found the translations if you want them. Oh, real quick. great. Yeah. Here, yeah. Um, yes. This is just to give credit. Cause we, you know, we try to do that. We don't do it as often as we should, but we do. This is from Jewish humor, central.com. So, um, um, Going on the fact that I think it's accurate here, um, I'm not going to try to read the the Hebrew words because they've got them phonetically spelled out, but I still don't think I'm going to get them right, so no. But the 11th, because technically this was 11 through 15, according to this. So 11 is you shall not pass. <laughs> um, 12 is you shall not make people laugh or you shall not laugh. They can't decide which one it is. 13 is you shall not buy. 14 is you shall not stay. And 15 is you shall not break. I'm, not, I'm, a, I, I'm just going to say this. I think the Jews lucked out when they fucking, when, when Moses broke that third fucking tablet. Like, <laughs> they benefited say, so much from that. Yeah, which... Also, what a genius joke. Uh, I thank God for took the time to do all this. That's why I love Mel Brooks films. It's also Terry on uh, when, when Mel Brooks gets it, everything that he does with both his, his own heritage and everything that goes along with it um, and all the letters he gets from rabbis and everything else. So I what a wonderful piece to put in that not necessarily everyone's going to appreciate. And that's kind of one of those things that I'm like, what what a trooper Mel Brooks is making jokes that no one's going to appreciate is a funny guy. He's jumping around with these like I'm going to take away the anti-Semitism by being slightly, you know, anti-Semitic. You know, it's it's it was the same trope of like he was afraid of writing a lot of the N-word jokes in Blazing Saddles. So he had Richard Pryor write them. He's like, well, if Richard wrote them, then they're fine. You know, he's like, I'm not going to write it. Have Richard write it. But historically, and this is why I massively respect Mel Brooks, he understands a basic tenet of there are people in that The worst thing you could possibly do, whatever, whatever they were about or whatever the message would be, would to be laugh it out of the house, to laugh at them. And I think that is the power of Mel Brooks and why a a movie like this is so fantastic in history is because he understood the fundamentals of taking power away from dickheads, you know, dictatorial regimes, anything that may form is the worst thing that you can do is laugh about it. And he laughs at it. And I think that that is genius. 
Can you imagine if we'd all laughed at Hitler at Nuremberg? Wouldn't have gone down so well. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's why I have a lot of respect for Charlie Chaplin. He he tried to do that, you know. He did. He did, and in a way, you can argue maybe it worked a little bit. Mm, I would also argue that it it made Hitler also... I mean, this is a complete other topic, but it made Hitler also immensely popular because Hitler stole Chaplin's mustache. He was going to be popular anyway when you have people like Walt Disney and Henry Ford and eugenics had its own life in America. And fascism had its own life in America. But I think maybe even, you know, Hitler Hitler literally had no sense of humor if you take from that that he's going, oh, this guy, you know, like in a way, well, yes, in a way, no. It goes with a with a one of my favorite quotes from Robin Williams. He was being interviewed by a German talk show host, and she flat out asked him, uh, Mr. Williams, why do you think there is no uh, comedy in Germany? And Robin said, do you think it's because you killed all the funny people? (laughs) (laughs) And and she didn't, it just went over her fucking head. She's like, no. And he's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) It generally does. You know that stoicism? Have you ever seen that scene in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon's supposed to be reviewing the German comedies? It's kind of the same thing. You're exactly right. You got rid of all the funny people. What do you expect? I saw something similar uh, on an episode of South Park. They uh, they, They were doing a whole segment about the least funny people and Germany won. And <laughs> it showed like a new, like, like the Germans, like the head of, of the Ger- of Germany, like just like breathing really close and getting super fucking angry. Like, and, and I'm not going to try, but they were like, this is not accurate. We are very funny people. Let me tell you a typical good German joke. Knock, <laughs> knock. Who is there? I kill you. That is German typical joke. Like <laughs> stoicism and nastiness. Look, not I'm for sorry nothing. For I would have loved to have German seen listeners. The... Yeah, the, you know. <laughs> Just we us... do well in Germany, believe yeah. it or not. Well, we don't. We don't do well in know. America, so we barely had. <laughs> we're not going to do well in Germany. Um... They could just call us Deutschbags. <laughs> <laughs> that we are. Um, I mean, I'm part German, so there you go. So am I. Uh, there you go. Uh, should we? Not for nothing. I would want to see Hitler on ice. You know, in his rule of part two, all day long. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Just for the back... pun of Hitler on ice, you like he's <laughs> in a freezer. You know, not only um, that, but goddamn, does he nail that triple axel? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Even the a, French there'll... judge can only get that a nine point eight. <laughs> The spinoff instead of I Tanya be called I ate off. See, here's the thing, though. If if you're if you're gonna do that film, you have to have an Israeli judge, and he has to give him a zero the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I want Margot Robbie to play play Hitler. There you go. I want her to do just anything, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I want I want to go back to the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire. I listen. There's some great parts to this whole film, and I know a lot of people, and maybe you guys even too, will lean towards the French Revolution as the best part of the film. But for me, uh-uh. Uh-uh. no, okay. 
Well, for me, because for me, the Roman Empire is the best part. I, I think that's the, the most complete part and the more entertaining of the two parts. There's definitely some funny shit in, in the rest of it, for without question. But I, I have to agree. I, I really have to agree. Jess? Um, no, Roman Empire. Uh, by far and away, of course, my favorite part. Um, God, it's genius. It really is genius. For any number of historical and just classic comic trope reasons i'm all about it so we're gonna dive in and as great as as great as a lot of the people in the sequence are for me and and again i might be in the in the minority here but the 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 person who steals the the whole sequence for me is gregory hines that that guy that's you talk about you talk about you know people we lost too soon there's another one right there greg gregory hines is superb 54 uh, I'll check. Um, cause, cause or he died of liver cancer. I was real torn up about that one. That, that so you know, fun. normally I don't give two tits if a celebrity dies. I really don't. Like, I, I don't notice. I don't care. But the day somebody told me Gregory Hines died, I was like, <gasps> like, it hit me hard. He was fantastic. And all due respect to Richard Pryor. I love the guy. But if that was, he was supposed to be originally in that part. But I think that... It, it's not the same without Heinz. Like he just no. kills it far and away. Yeah, and and so so to your to your point there, Rico. Actually, him and Madeline Kahn were the same age when they died. They were both fifty-seven. Now I don't think they died in the really? same year, but they both were fifty-seven. Um, so really, yeah, yeah. That's... It's a little. It's a little <clears throat> weird. It's a little weird. Cut. She died in ninety-nine. He died in 06. So the the age, you know the. Age the years are different, but the age is the same. Um, and but I'm with you, Jess. I think. Look, I, I I like Richard Pryor as much as anybody, and I think he's a comedic genius. But there's things that Gregory Hines does in that sequence that it would not have played as well with Richard Pryor. But then, yeah, yeah, well, that's that's primarily what I was getting at. Yeah, and 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 maybe they don't do that that way if it's Pryor. Because they, you know, Heinz is a, or was, sorry, a, a classically trained dancer. And so they, they had to have known that going into it. And so they took advantage of that opportunity. You know what I mean? Actually, I think it was like a month into or before production began, like prior has his whole incident. And then Madeline Kahn suggests Gregory yeah. Hines, which is just like so perfect and so it was his debut. That, it just yeah and he was he was amazing the sandman bit was great all of it like uh and, and according well actually according to the again because i watched some of the the features last night to get ready for today and it was a week it wasn't a month it was a week before production started they brought in gregory Hines. so i just love the fact that gregory was such a huge fan of sammy davis jr that he threw in like call Samus Davis Jr. Like, you know, he'll vouch for me. You know, one of my favorite for both of you, this is, this is like some of the best. It'll make you cry. It's super great. Uh, right before Sammy Davis Jr. died. The, I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. 
Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Uh, There was a whole, like, concert, you know, uh, memorial uh, tribute thing to Sammy. And Sammy was, you know, guest of honor. He's sitting and he's watching it. Gregory Hines goes on stage and says, you know, you've been my idol and my hero forever. And the only way I can really express is to show you how much you meant to me is by dance. And he does a little tap thing and he dances it and it's beautiful. And then he goes down to hug Sammy and Sammy just fucking puts on a pair of tap shoes. They go up on stage together and it's the, it's like this beautiful, like it's not even a dance off. It's just two guys in their element without uttering a word. I mean, I mean, Gregory's laughing and he's got a big fucking smile on his face. (laughs) It's all, it's all improvisation. It's all, you know, quick step. It's all tapping. And, and the point is, is Gregory was taller, uh, had more meat on him than Sammy. Sammy was, you know, a buck Oh five. You know, if you, if you stared at him long enough, he could fucking blow away. That's how thin and little he was. And the, the, the contrast is amazing. And because Gregory was lightless, you know, uh, he, you know, he was, he effortless tap dancer. And then standing next to Sammy who weighed nothing, you know, the only, the only weight he had was literally the clothes on him. Like I, I used to joke that Sammy had tap shoes because it would keep him rooted to the ground. The metal on the, on the shoes would keep him down because he <laughs> just floated off to the fucking sky. Yeah. And Sammy is just, he, he made it look easy as old and as frail as he was. Like he knew this was his last hurrah. He knew he was going to die within a year or less of throat cancer. And ultimately I think they, he did lose his, like they, they, uh, he lost his voice from from cancer, and he uh, the, he I, or I'm, I may be mis fucking it. I may be fucking it up because I think they had the option of prolonging his life, but he said no. If I lose my voice, it's not worth living. That's what it was. Um, I'm te- I'm tell you both. Watch this, Gregory Hines, Sam and Jr. tap dancing together, and I implore you, if you don't fucking cry, you don't have a soul. Cut to me at midnight because. Just for your listeners, it should be known that I have a great appreciation for the Rat Pack, that period of time, music, dance, the same as Rico does. So if I am not shit-canned on my couch at midnight, like, bawling my eyes out to this, like, (laughs) I don't know what for. And I will, and I'll watch it over and over again, and I'll weep senselessly. I will be a puddled mess when I go to bed. So that'll be, that's a perfect close to my night, sir. You just, <laughs> you knocked it out of the park there. Yeah. But yeah, it's also a testament to everything that's great about Gregory Hines. And he really was perfect for this part. And just, you know, horrible circumstance that he 
stumbled into it. But um, I think ultimately the best for the movie because it really worked out. Um, Rico, just to touch on the Sammy thing for a minute, they did actually remove his larynx in oh. 1990. So, uh, so ghost, ghost, a Christmas feature for me as I smoke while we're doing this. Yeah. Well, hey, that's... You're, you're making me Jones, uh, <laughs> Jess. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. That's all right. I'm not going to stop. Well, you're not, <laughs> you're not a cigar drinker. Well, that's all right. She's got me Jones in for her beer, so she's hitting both of us. Um, but Focus in any event... Me as long as it's not pot, so... Um, yeah. Well, that, there, was, there, that was a different day. <laughs> Gregory, in any event, I just... I, I thought was... He was also in, what, The Muppets Take Manhattan? Who? And our... Gregory Hines. Oh, he, uh, let me look. Hold on. Yeah. I think he played a jogger. Um, and I, 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 you know, Gregory Hines is just, he was just amazing in everything that I saw him in. He was just astounding. And and you could see the charisma. You could see the talent, you know, stemming from this. I also have a weird question. Do we actually see his erect dick? No, I didn't. No, but he, Here's the thing. I'm not talking about the feather being raised during the Catalonia scene. I'm talking about when they say, you know, uh, when they finally, when, when the feather raises and then he runs, he runs away from the camera and he's, and he kind of is sort of like, like you see the right and you see something erect and flopping. I almost am kind of wondering if they, added something or if that that dance was so erotic that he actually got aroused and ran because you look at it it's like this fucking erect dick just flopping way out in the distance as he's running i swear hand to god i think gregory hines was so method he's like i'm gonna get a hard dick in this scene mel is that all right he's like well if you're gonna get a hard dick in in one of my movies this is the one to do it i imagine and also, to be fair, if you can watch that with Leo, you know, leaving the old snail trail, uh, that's a test, ladies. Ah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, <laughs> I love that I've just come on y'all's show and made you both acutely uncomfortable. So that you didn't make mm-hmm. us uncomfortable. I, I, it took me a second. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it, it took Rico. To, so, so, real quick. um I'm there. Rico, just to clarify, he was actually not that not that I'm splitting hairs with you, buddy, but just to clarify, he was a roller skater in Muppets Take Manhattan, not a jogger, okay. but to, to get specific. Um, the thing I'm finding really interesting, because you said this was his first film, which I wasn't disagreeing with you or, or not believing you. He's got one credit prior in 1967. So from 67 to 81, nada. Or at least not television or movies you could have been on stage and doing other dance performances and things like that but you know it was it was him and his brother they were uh, the heinz brothers and they were doing they i think there was an act they did in a movie you may, you may be right there was something early but yeah you're right what, no this is a tv TV? show he was he was a guest performer on a show called away we go from 1967 and then he didn't do anything again until history of the world um so that that was just interesting to me but um yeah, I find he, it more interesting that you said he didn't do anything prior, and we were just talking about the fact that Richard Pryor was originally. Ah, look be. at me with the ah. puns. Um, but yeah, he, he Gregory Hines certainly makes that whole sequence work. I in my eyes, like I, I think I wait, think. Wait, 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 you said he died at fifty-seven. Yeah, Gregory Hines, fifty-seven. Uh, but uh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. a joke. I'm just like, I know it's not spelled the same way, but like, who the fuck didn't think of that? Come yeah. on. Right? Not me, sir. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Um, uh, no, everything about this scene, and I'm so glad that he ended up being in it. And of course, I'm sure we're going to talk about Madeline Kahn in a minute, but like sure. the tip of the hat to Eddie Cantor as well for like the entire stand up scene down to like the shorty Roman robe. Everything about it is amazing. Thank you, Mel Brooks, again. Like, just a genius. You know what she's talking about, Cedar? N- no, and I watched the movie. So I'm a Mel, Mel based his his uh, Comicus character on Eddie Cantor. Okay. I'm not familiar with who Eddie Cantor is, so I apologize for that. But, yeah, I'm not familiar with him. Jess, you want to take that one? No, it's all you. You do a much better job of explaining this. I'm just I mean, going to sit here with my eyes bugging out like Eddie Cantor. Well, I don't I don't know a lot about Eddie Cantor. It's just that he was a comedian. and He, he, did he was it. a comedian, a personality that yeah. predated Brooks. It's going to be in that same early TV, radio sort of thing. Um, he was in a production in which actually the shorty Roman uniform is an homage right. that you see Brooks, Brooks wearing in the actual deal. So it's... Um, it's we're going way back in history, and I promise your fandom is not going to be like, oh, I know who Eddie Cantor is, but it's just part of my like being in that old school world and understanding where everything comes. Like the entire like Comicus is an homage essentially to Eddie Cantor and, okay. and his agent played by. And I got to show through a little shout out to Ron Carey. Ron Carey was another underrated Mel Brooks. Uh, reoccurring actor and he was in he was great in high have, you, have either of you seen high anxiety i have not jess yes? yeah so if you like you don't even have to be a real hitchcock fan because i'm not i'm not there's actually so many hitchcock films i've never seen i've seen like maybe four and i want to change that like i have a whole collection of hitchcock shit that someone gave to me that i've just never gotten around to seeing it's a, you have to be a very like particular state of mind to dive into Hitchcock. And I think you also have to be niche in horror. You want to really get into the beginnings of that. that, It's also, I I have a hard time separating the artists with their work. And I know Hitchcock was kind of a fucking piece of shit. Like he, he he harassed and, and kind of, what's her name tippy hendrix tippy hendrix yeah between marnie and like the birds and everything he was real crazy about her like psycho crazy about her yeah no pun intended i mean the man (laughs) of too much um and he and he he also had no respect for actors as as people he just said you're just props with with voices and i mean he made some fucking amazing yeah, but he was a real shithead of a human being. I, on the other hand, don't have trouble separating generally. I just, I think Hitchcock kicked off such a modern era of like what we appreciate in horror. And there are so many homages. My problem is it's not Hitchcock it's himself. It's all the homages, including high anxiety down to bits in the Simpsons that I really appreciate. What came more from the Hitchcock homage than Hitchcock himself? I I would say that most 
uh, amazing artists are usually the most fucked up people, you know, oh, yeah. even stemming going back to Richard Pryor. I mean, Richard Pryor had a lot of priors. Let's put it that way. Mm. You know, and I mean, this is a motherfucker who made the joke after he was set on after he set himself on fire, ran down the street, went back on stage a year later, lit a match and said, what's this? Richard Pryor running down the street like like he had to poke fun at himself. But the whole point of this was Ron Carey, who plays Swift as Lazarus, uh, Comicus's agent, is a pun on the super agent of the 40s and 50s and 60s, Swifty Lazar. And he was the agent for Sinatra and all the all the 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 um, golden days of Hollywood. He was that motherfucker. He was also kind of a piece of shit <laughs> but just, huge yeah, huge like, piece of shit total backstabby motherfucker like like he and sinatra rubbed shoulders for years and sinatra never trusted him never liked him but understood the value it would do for his career so he's just like i'll never fucking break bread with this motherfucker but he will find me some gigs you know that's going into separating the artists from their work there's some questionable shit that sinatra did but i i don't give a shit he's my absolute favorite singer there ever was or will be i'm a huge sinatra fan and i don't give a shit i like i give a shit but also you're, you're not ever going to take my sinatra away from me but at least i know everything that went into it you know, and I think that incredibly creative, incredibly funny people, a lot of that stems from they got some fucked up shit inside and laughing or performing or whatever that medium may be is a way to almost cope with it. And so I, that's, you know, I would agree with that in the sense I think Sinatra gets a minor pass because he actually was most likely undiagnosed bipolar. Oh, definitely. I agree. No, I completely agree with that. Like, yeah, that but, it's it was in a time that you didn't get help when you probably needed it. Oh, yeah. But back to Ron Carey. Ron Carey is he's great in History of the World Part One, but he's even better in High Anxiety. And in High Anxiety, he plays the sort of gopher assistant to Mel Brooks. And it's. You know what? You know what? I didn't realize until years later after watching all these films, the director Barry Levinson was a frequent collaborator for Mel Brooks films. Like to the point where I'm like, the motherfucker who did Rain Man started out with Mel Brooks, and it, it never, it never occurred to me. There's a part in High Anxiety where they spoof the shower scene in Psycho. Mel is in the shower, and before he goes in there. He goes to a, uh, a hotel bellhop and says, I need a newspaper. Go, please get me a newspaper. And, and Barry Levinson's the bellhop. And he forgets to go get the newspaper. It's like, oh, it was all the way across. You know, it was three blocks away. I didn't really feel like getting it. It's like, go, I need that newspaper. It's very important. So Mel's in the shower. Door opens just like we see the silhouette through the shower curtain. And then the, <laughs> the shower curtain gets ripped open. And there's the bellhop holding the newspaper, and instead of ding, 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 <laughs> the, the, the string of violins that we see in Psycho, or here in Psycho, it's Barry Levinson screeching, here, 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 <laughs> he's, he's smacking him with the newspaper, here's your paper, honey, and he walks out of the room, and Mel is, is 
in, in like all the the blood that goes down the drain is the ink from the newspaper and Mel's resting his head on the bathtub like he's dead and then he just says that boy receives no tip <laughs> yes it's amazing even Hitchcock like gave the tip of the hat to Mel Brooks for that like even he was not like being a shit about it as horrible as a human being as he was even he could laugh at that homage yeah, and I think that's a huge a testament to, to yeah I think that's a testament to everything that is Mel Brooks. Like, you um, want to be honored in such a way by Mel Brooks. But Barry was, like, he has a quick cameo in History of the World Part 1. He plays the guy who's selling the columns. Columns, columns, get your columns now. Do not. Doric, Ionic. Like, he goes through all the different art history kinds of columns, which is hilarious to me. Well, I mean, in that in that same scene, you also have um, Hugh Hefner talking to about how I, I I've got this idea. It's called a centerfold. It's you know, called a centerfold. It's it's fantastic. But the the and right after that is actually um, a scene I think, especially in this this age in 2020 that we're living in with all this COVID nonsense. That you know, there's a scene right after that that I feel like we can all relate to, and it's it's. Comicus in the unemployment line going to get his unemployment pay and fucking B. Arthur is on the other side of the uh, the window there. But they're even asking the questions they still ask to this day, which I can't imagine it would be much different than, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. But, you know. Well, slightly different. Did you kill anybody this week? Uh well, no, did no, but no, but kill somebody this week. But no, it's the same kind of thing. Like when I was filing unemployment, did you look for work this week? Did you try to find work? This, yeah, like it's the same concept. Yes, they're not asking right. if you killed anybody. But I mean, even, but even when they get to comic guys, like, have you bullshitted anybody this week? Have you tried to bullshit anybody this week? You know, and then. Yeah. And then, Which is also a throwback to 81, because while we find ourselves in this coronavirus situation, the United States economy in 81 wasn't like going gangbusters, no, guys. That's true. That's so true. it's also a relatable scene for the time it's made. Sure, sure. Um, I want to say it was CJ was born in 80 and then the economy collapsed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And then savings and loan happened. Well, you know, what? why do you think I'm sitting here in a one-bedroom apartment instead of off on, you know, uh, in a luxury uh, penthouse somewhere? But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. <laughs> um, you know, I, I appreciate the whole history lesson on, on the comedian and everything that you guys gave me because I honestly was about to give, and, may, and maybe it's still relevant, but I was going to give Mel props on his stand-up ability because, like, you know, I know Mel for, you know, his script writing and his, his directorial abilities and those things. And, and, you know, no, not saying anything negative on either, but I wouldn't have thought of Mel Brooks as a stand-up. So seeing that bit, it was like giving Mel those, those, but then you're telling me it's not really him. So It's a tip of the hat to, like, early stand-up to, I mean, and in a way, he may not have necessarily, he wasn't heavy in that scene, but he knows, like, he spent all his time with comics, comedic sure. writers, everything, and, and Cantor was, like, an early part of his career as much as, you know, Sid Caesar was. So it was something that he, he really drew off of, and I like the homage. I always appreciate it when I watch it, because it is very early stand-up, right. very much. 
It was also the first film where Mel was the full lead. Mm. Because, because all his earlier films, he's just a secondary player or he's got a very small cameo or this is the first time where he is the lead. And to be fair, he was not a lead in a lot of his films. And, and also, to be fair, he, was, he didn't make a lot of films. There's maybe only like 12 films that he directed, if that. Uh, you know, hold on, I'm pulling it up right 12. now. 12. Barely 11. 12. 11. 11. Oh, yeah. 11. Um, and the last one was Dracula Dead and Loving It that yep. he technically directed. And in all honesty, not only of his advanced age, he because he's still very young, despite the fact that he's 93? Four. 94. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's because his wife, Anne Baycroft. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just two fifty. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. I've died. And he always referred to her, like, he, she was his muse, but he referred to her as his Obi-Wan. Well, so, and, and not to get, um, wait, am I seeing this right? He's actually filming shit right now. Well, not like right now, right now, but he's filming shit. Um, they're doing a movie called Blazing Samurai, and he's going to be the voice of a character. Yeah, it's all voice work. Everything he's doing right now is voice work, but he is yeah, he's he, still working. He's done. He's done movies uh, since Dracula. Um, like he was Vlad. He was uh, Dracula's dad in Hotel Transylvania seventy two or something. Whatever. <laughs> As a kid, I can. Can attest to that, and I loved it because I instantly heard it, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Mel Brooks!" <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, not that you know, Rico, you took us to a sad spot, so it's my turn. But like, you think about that scene when Moses and God and all, and you know that him and Carl got together every night, had dinner, and watched Jeopardy. And you figure three of the people in that trifecta, or two of the three people in that trifecta, are now gone, and this year. Because Carl and Alex, you know, so yeah. it's like it, it's 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 shit. <laughs> like but one of the great things about Mel Brooks is he kind of takes it like on the nose and he keeps going because yeah. like one of his big deals about being funny and being alive is waving your arms, being seen, being loud. And I always really appreciate that his everything is a testament to being alive. And so, in a way, I love that he's still, uh, even after losing Mrs. Robinson, which, by the way, can we, God, he he nailed it there, choosing a wife. Um, but <laughs> even after that, you know, he's still loud, he's still a big personality, he's still ultimately positive, which I find, like, really inspiring. And that's kind of the Mel Brooks creed, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, Mel, I saw he... Right when COVID was starting, uh, his son, Max Brooks, filmed outside of Mel's house, like with a glass door kind of thing. He says, please wear a mask so my father can live. And I even retweeted. I said, 
if any of you fuckers give Mel Brooks COVID, you're going to have to answer to me. Like, leave Mel alone. I will go postal, okay? Oh, for sure. Like, that's that's one of my ones. I, I kind of sadly wait for it, and I'm like, this is going to be a yeah, bad day in my life. And yeah. I normally don't give two shits if anybody dies. Like, it doesn't affect my life. I think most celebrities are consequently shit. But Mel Brooks is a fucking gem, and I will just lose it. When I, he would, goes. I would argue that I've, I've always said, that I think there's everybody in life. There's two types of people. There's Woody Allen fans and there's Mel Brooks fans. And people tend to lean towards one. Of the, I've had people say, I like them both. No, no, because they're very different levels of, of not only just comedy, but Jewish comedy and, and neurotic Jewish comedy. You know, Woody Allen is better at the neurosis. I would say Mel is better at, the comedy. The, comedy. And the, ir- the irony is that they both work together on the Sid Caesar show. And I'm trying to imagine how in the fuck they managed to like develop their tastes and clash against each other and, and deal with that. But Mel, even uh, recently, like the, like during the election, made a video saying like, it's important to vote because what's the point of voting if the country, if the, if you're dead, like you need to vote now before the country is ruined, like, please vote for Biden. And it was, it was profound. And a lot, not to mention a lot of millennials were like, Mel said it. Oh, we all need to vote. It was like, we are all saying that anyways, you fucking idiots. Like a 94 year old man telling you to vote. Great. But, but, yeah, but it's to, a testament but to, to everything that is Mel Brooks and almost yeah. kind of like a, a feedback on his his Nero character or his his kind of one percent dictatorial look into when you go into history of the world that we are, in fact, making fun of dictators or ridiculous people with ridiculous views throughout history. So who better to comment <laughs> like who can do a better commentary and ask folks to vote than Mel Brooks himself? Like, I agree. I agree. It's his career. Um, you know, God, there's at least, there's at least two fucking characters in Mel Brooks films that I can think of at the top of my head that I watch and I'm like, that is Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, like, no. One of which is Nero. Can I, Nero for sure. Can I guess, can I guess the other one then? If, if we're sure. saying Nero's one, I, it would, it would be to me, president Spaceball. Okay. Well then there's three. Okay. President Scrooge. <laughs> uh, Scrooge. President, thank you. That's yeah. Scrooge. Sorry. Which yeah. is Brooks backwards, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So president Scrooge for sure. Actually, no, then, if, it would be Scorb if it was backwards. Because it would Scrooge, it's Scrooge is S K R O B. Brooks is B R O K S. Oh, but as somebody that's currently teaching their child from home, remember the double O can make the O or the U uh sound. It has two phonetic sounds, so it could be changed to a linguist, if you will. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Rico. Your point. Uh, the well, you haven't seen it, CJ, but Blazing Saddles, the mayor that Mel Brooks plays is very much Donald Trump. Like you watch it now and you're just like, Oh, Shiza Minnelli. Like it is straight up Donald Trump. 
And and perfect. You're exactly right. I was just watching Blazing Saddle because I wanted to get in a Mel Brooks mood before I actually watched this for this show. So I did watch a number of movies, um, including Blazing Saddles. And you are nailed it, Rico. Well, fuck, like, it I is mean, spot fucking even on. Even when he plays uh, the king in, in History of the World. I mean, that's that's him doing coke and be like, it's good to be the king. And like grabbing women by the pussies is just, that's fucking... Man, the peasants? Of... I don't give a shit what the peasants think. No, he's, he's <laughs> like, I love my people. And then he pulled. Well, I mean, I mean, listen, I mean, Rico, we, we, we typically try to avoid getting political, and that's not me steering away from what we're talking about. My point is, though, that, you know, we'll also say that, like, going back to the, the Roman Empire sequence, when when they go and and the Senate has got together and they're voting about the... That's the Republican fucking party right there is what that oh, is. Sure, you know, you so. know, a fun thing that I enjoy about that, and I think where Brooks comes from, is um, a lot of modern historians contend that uh, it could be argued that Nero was actually a pretty popular... He was pretty popular among the people, less popular one, among the 1%, but he's always going to be remembered in Judea and Galilee rather poorly for the Jewish-Roman War, which I think also is a testament that even though it's comedy, Mel Brooks always incorporates this kind of fun history of his people within his movies, and so it's just even funnier that he's going with... Even though I, I know he's a student of history in a way that he's going with that 1% kind of maybe element that historians go into and look at Nero with. Whereas, you know, it's kind of broken up for that reason to the history of the Jewish peoples, which I, I think is incredible in and of itself. Like what a student of history, how laughable, how great, you know, Nero is always portrayed that way. And that's just what it's going to be in a, in a popular opinion since. So one of my other favorite parts of the, of the Roman, I mean, because the Roman Empire is the best segment. I mean, I still have a lot of fondness for the caveman sequences too. Sure. But I fucking, because when I saw History of Part 1, I was a little kid. So a lot of the jokes went over my head, but even the best jokes I got, like, in my household, saying Jesus Christ was pretty fucking like rampant. And to see Mel Brooks as a waiter yes. during the Last Supper. Yes. See that see for for a historian for like Jess, you you watch this movie and you can appreciate the fucking ridiculousness, the fact that they're not being accurate. Because Nero is not at the same time as Jesus. So the fact that Comicus becomes a way like they leave and they fucking wind up in Judea and then he becomes a waiter to a fucking <laughs> to John Hurt as Jesus. Which, by the way, I didn't I like I said, I've seen the movie before, but I certainly didn't remember that John Hurt plays Jesus and you hear him before you see him. And even then, he doesn't look like he doesn't look like John Hurt that I know. Do you know what I'm saying? He's because he's so young. That's all it is. And well, here's the here's the well, interesting wait, thing is that so go ahead. you hear him talk and I'm like, is that fucking John Hurt? And I look yeah. it up. And I'm like, holy shit, that's John Hurt. It's Jesus Christ. Holy fuck. It's Ollivander. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's the crazy thing is that we know later 
that he eventually went on to have his a little cameo in Spaceballs, you know, recreating his his role in, in Alien. And here's a lot of things that people don't understand is that Mel Brooks produced a lot of dark movies as well. He had a separate production company called Brooks Films. And that was for like The Fly. Like that's the crazy thing is that The Fly with Jeff Goldblum was produced by Mel Brooks. And he did The Elephant Man, which starred John Hurt. So there are these Mel, like I'm just imagining Mel on the set of Elephant Man be like, we got to get you in one of my movies. It's like, oh, <laughs> I can't do a John Hurt, but it's like, yes, of course. What, what would you like me to do? You know, it's like, would you like me to be, you know, all, you know no, 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 I want you Jesus. You're going to play Christ. And I'm going to say your name, and we're going to have this little back and forth. And it's just the funniest part, even little things like, one of you will betray me. Judas, would you like some mold wine? It's delicious. Like, Yeah, like, yeah. And, I, um, and then they get Da Vinci, who's like, wasn't, like, who was like, a born, what, what would that be, 400 years later? No, wait, no, no, even no, a, a More thousand than that. years later. Thousand, yeah, like a thousand, maybe twelve hundred, something like that. Twelve hundred yeah. years later, something like that, and we just got this. Hey, what's going on, guys? It was like this, this, this total fucking like ah, this is too much. I can't. Oh, I see at the backs. All right, you want to be in the painting? All of you go on one side. This is what we're gonna do. Like it's just the most. It looks oh, and then, nothing like Da Vinci. And then, and then, of course, Mel's holding the the serving tray above his head that gives the, the like halo. the right the the, the glow. Um, yeah, that that whole the whole again. The whole, there's one thing about the Roman Empire scene, and Rico, this goes back to a thing that we talk about off and on all the time about like there are certain jokes. Maybe even the whole sequence that you couldn't do fresh today. You know what I mean? Like, like Caesar's um, herald or assistant or whatever the hell he was. You couldn't do that character today. I think it's funny as hell, but you couldn't do it. You know what I mean? You could, you could do the character. You can't say the word. You couldn't call him what you call his name. Couldn't be what his name was. That's a better way to put right. it. Yeah. But yes. I will argue. Uh, once again, that Mel Brooks, in a time when we're going into the AIDS crisis, mm -hmm. and everybody that really launches into this uh, uh, refreshed and renewed hatred of gay culture, that is poignant in that it's saying, like, get over yourselves, essentially. Because, again, you take the power from bigots from history, from anything, if it, if you laugh at it, if you laugh hysterically at it, so that if somebody says that word on the street, you've got Mel Brooks in your brain, and you're like, ugh, you're fucking ridiculous, and can walk on, which is the entire point. You just can laugh at them, in that maybe you draw that, that moment in your brain if somebody shouts that hateful word at you from a Mel Brooks movie and go... You're a ridiculous human being. I'm going to laugh at you and move on. I I always viewed that particular line. Okay, blank. What's next? As a uh, reference to see to Blazing Saddles, and 
because CJ hasn't seen Blazing Saddles, so there's a portion. He'll he'll get there. Trust me, I'm 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 leaning on him. There's a portion because, like every Mel Brooks film, they break the fourth wall, and in Blazing Saddles, they literally break the fourth wall. Like there's a whole fight, like the stereotypical saloon fight, and it erupts, breaks through a wall, and it's a old school type film where it's a giant song and dance and Dom DeLuise is a director and all the men are in top hats and coats, but they're portrayed as very gay. So he yells, like he yells at them because they fuck up the steps. He said, watch me Blakey. I can't, I'm not going to say the word. So him, the as far as I can tell, the only one who really consistently uses that word in a Mel Brooks film is Dom DeLuise. So I was, you know, going back, I was like, that maybe that was just kind of his thing. And let's be fucking honest, Dom DeLuise was pretty effeminate from time to time. Like he had oh, like sure. a very effeminate voice. It's- a reference to a lot of things, and that's why I don't think there should ever be a disclaimer on a Mel Brooks film because it's it's making fun, it's taking the hate out of something that would be hateful. Just going more as if you believe that, and and you're the kind of idiot that watches that shit and is like, oh hell yeah, you know, with the it, kind of guy that flies a Confederate or Confederate flag out of your truck, you're an idiot. Because you're not understanding the culture and the joke and everything that goes behind it. Here's the point. You're the moron. Here's the point I'm trying to make, though, Jess. It's not that I don't agree with everything you just said, because I agree with everything you just said. My point is that in the cancel culture that we live in currently, it would get a bunch of backlash. I get where you're coming from, and I agree that that's what Mel's shooting for. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, the three of us get where Mel's coming from. Uh, oh, I you know. know. And uh, um, Mel Brooks to be the first person to say that cancel culture and PC culture is going to ruin comedy. Um, because it's taking places of deep, you know, hate or pain and making it funny. Right. That is the point. I would, I liken it to, there's a, there was an interview that Samuel Jackson was uh, gave and the guy said, you know, there's a lot of N words because I think it was for Django. And he said, you know, you know, you, you the, the N word is used a lot here. And Samuel Jackson says, say the word. He's like, no, I'm He's like, no, I've never said the word. Like, Why don't you try it? Try it. And he, you see Samuel Jackson be like, listen, motherfucker, you try saying that word. Don't call it the N word. You use that word. Let's have a discussion about it. But if you're not going to have the balls to say that word, to me, where I'm giving you permission, then let's See, drop I, the conversation. Right, and then and, and and you know, Rico, you and I have had conversations about that, and I don't want to get into a long debate tonight. But I, you and I have had conversations where I've said that we're not in a in, in a trying to have a discussion about it, as opposed to you know calling someone that because I would never. Right. And and even then, you've you've pulled me aside and said, "Dude, it's made you uncomfortable," and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, nor do I ever want to. But I'm just saying, like. I think I think when you're saying a word that's normally offensive to somebody and you're using it in a context of a conversation, not calling it to somebody, but discussing the topic of a word, then it's then then you should be allowed 
to use it. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you're not using it in any kind of derogatory way. You're discussing a topic. But that's that's a different debate. I'm just saying, you know. I, I'll, I'll revert to George Carlin because George Carlin said there are there's no such thing as a bad word. There are words. Yes. And there are bad intentions and bad histories and bad uses. And then there's words. Yeah. I think because he he was talking specifically about the N-word. And I will say this. The N-word itself doesn't offend me because it I'm I'm a white male. It offends me that it's still being used against black people. But what offends me even more is the phrase the N-word. That offends me because that is a white conservative Fox News way of saying the word without saying the word. Ask somebody exactly. Right. And exactly. I mean there there are certain words that I that I used to say that I was like pushing the boundaries. And a, and a lot of it did come from watching cinema. It is impossible to talk about dialogue in a Quentin Tarantino movie without censoring yourself. You cannot say the speech of the Sicilian scene without warning somebody ahead of time, which is good. I have more problems with the fact that historically, yes, that word is, is rampant in Django Unchained and Hateful Eight, but the fact that Quentin loves to put it in with his white characters saying it, it's more of his white characters saying it than it is the black people that he's trying to convey accurately. Like, his character Jimmy in Pulp Fiction, I don't understand why he says that shit. Yeah, Especially well, and, when his... Yeah, and, and, and his character's married to an African-American woman. I know, it doesn't make any sense either. But... Yeah. Actually, like, do you not know those people? Again, I've grown up in the South my entire life, and I... <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle... Is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast? The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter. And you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense. I know those people that they want to separate and put walls between themselves and hateful thought and I, I won't even call I won't call it Republican thought I'll call it conservative thought that they want to put those walls between I'm not this person I'm not this way but they are that that way essence so I very much I, I've known that guy known that character and I if anybody again growing up in Texas and the deep south like, you, you know somebody that is that way. So I think even then, it, it kind of, it, it works in that if you were in that culture and grew up in that culture, you, you but, kind of recognize that individual, well, if but that in makes the, sense. But in the context of Pulp Fiction, Jimmy, played by Tarantino, is married to a black woman named Bunny. Bonnie. 
Bonnie. Bonnie. Bonnie. Bonnie. There's Honey Bunny. That's what threw me off. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not – I just find it absolutely astounding that he would say, you know, did the sign in my door say dead blank storage? And it's like I don't understand why he would say that, especially in front of another black man with a gun. No, you know. It's a like, whole culture thing. Let me tell you. But, it, it, but if the culture of... was set in Texas, I would say I get it. But it's set in Southern California. <laughs> anyway, listen, I Enrico, maybe this is this is a more of a point of skew kind of discussion, and I didn't mean to go down a whole rabbit hole, but I just you know I, I think you, it's an important you, you rabbit hole because Rico's right also. No, he's not the context not, of this. Like not, he's so yeah. right. I mean, CJ, you do bring up a good point because I mean, both of you. I mean, Mel Brooks was trying to, if you use the word and it's funny, then it takes away a lot of the pain. Like there were words that I, like you know, the the homosexual slur. That particular word that really kind of stemmed this whole this little debate and topic here. I used that word, and then I discovered what it meant, and I stopped using the word. And I and but I never used that word against homosexuals. I would call, like I call the desk that once. <laughs> right. It it was just a, it was like saying yeah, it's like saying fuck you, but instead it was that. I understand what you're saying, Rico, because I I used to do that kind of stuff too until I realized like the level of of pain that it could cause the wrong people well, not even just yeah. that just the weight of of the well, that's, word yeah that's I mean, what i mean yeah and yeah. and so i'm with you buddy so but again Which and i think i just call everything motherfucker because that's like who's going to be offended by that uh, uh, you know a dad who's going to be offended by motherfucker hey you fucked the mom good for you not joseph fritzel um and Jess, you you do know that that's what he calls Father. You know that's what he calls Father's Day, right? You do know that it's not Father's Day for Rico. It's Motherfucker's Day. It's fantastic. Um, but I want I want to go on to the the Spanish Inquisition. Um, not not a whole lot to say. You knew you knew there has to be that musical piece. There just does. That's that's just Mel. Which know. can I interrupt for one more second? Sure. John Morris. Deserve some fucking praise because he has consistently been the John Williams Spielberg Lucas connection to Mel Brooks. Every amazing tune in a Mel Brooks film is usually consistently been by John Morris. Like, and he even recycles some of his themes, like the where Jews out in space yeah. at the end. That's where men. We're mad at tights. Sure. Like it's, sure. It's, it's, it, it is a modified version but it's, of the same song. Right, right. But also Ronnie Graham, uh, which was longtime friend of Brooks, helped him write that, uh, like old school friend of Brooks. And I love that they wrote that together. And while it was a special piece for him even, but like what a scene. The I think the the set of that alone costs more than I mean it's ridiculous but it's amazing and it's amazingly funny um, just as a quick aside which I also love the historian in me must come out at this moment um, the Spanish Inquisition in particular it was always it was more about getting money for the crown the Spanish Inquisition targeted the people groups that they did purely for the money i.e. Um, you have a lot of quotes in history 
about a lot of people saying nobody that was poor was brought in for the Inquisition. And God knows it has a huge body count, right? In and of itself. I'm going to do it one day. But um, that being said, it was always about taking wealth from its early days in the 1470s, like to taking wealth even through the 1700s. So that is why I love the point where they pull like the lever as if it's casino style and like do the side, put it in the car. That's, that's a very old school, fun, true history inquisition reference in that, Oh, persecute the Jews. Let's take the money. If you're Isabel and uh, Ferdinand of Castile. And even up until the 1700s, that's where the Spanish uh, like crown itself, and we're going to call it the Spanish mission because of Torquemada. We're, we're going to say that's where a lot of the wealth came. I, I believe it. I mean, even just a little, the, the, the fact that he says, put it in the car, it's like there are no cars. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what I love about the whole movie and Mel Brooks's humor in general, is that he just fucks around with genres and walls and references. I mean, he's making, like, he... Spaceballs you can get away with because it's sci-fi. And you could fuck with sci-fi and you could fuck with blends of reality. The fact that he did a thing called History of Little Part 1, which in itself was a reference to Walter Riley. Because he wrote The History of the World, Volume 1. He never got to Volume 2 because they fucking cut his head off. In which I say, Sir Walter, really? You know? <laughs> um... I, the thing that I found interesting is it, I feel like in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a thing for doing um, uh, synchronized swimming in mm -hmm. films. Like, I don't I don't know what that what that was all about, but it was a thing. It, right. Because if you you know, there's there's, there's a sequence in um, in the film in the, during during this, the Inquisition and it, it immediately took me to the Great Muppet Caper from the same year. Because in the Great Muppet Caper, there's that whole sequence well that's very similar. Uh, so much mm -hmm. so that I actually looked up the seat, because you, when you mentioned that Brooks produced a bunch of stuff that nobody knew about, because that kind of reminds me of Spielberg. Spielberg does that. Like Spielberg produces yeah. a bunch of shit, you're like, oh crap, Spielberg was involved? Like, he may not have directed right. it, but he, he yeah, so it's same, probably the same idea. And so I looked to see if he produced the Great Muppet Caper. He did not. But it it would have made sense. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he was in the first Muppet movie. Uh, I don't that the the the, the first Muppet from '76. Yeah, I'll check. I don't know, but I'll look. And I'm pretty also pretty positive Orson Welles was. Basically, the '70s was Mel Brooks and Muppets. That's it. Like, but you're right. I mean, I watched the Inquisition time. The I appreciate though. Oh, you're right. It's amazing. Um, I just think everything about like that particular scene, if there's an historical commentary ever, is definitely going to be that one. Um, whether it be on the history of the world, which kind of draws into, and I think that's why he he did went all out production wise because it is very much a history of the world in that it's about stealing wealth whether it be from the Inquisition to the Nazis, it's essentially about stealing wealth. And I love that he includes that. As an historian, I laugh hysterically at it. But also as an historian, he has a central message of 
yes, it transcends time, but doesn't history transcends, it transcends time. We keep doing the same things over and over. There's a certain rhyme and rhythm to the way that either it be people in power or the way that we represent other things the way we represent people. And I think that Mel Brooks, despite being criticized as somebody that's very outdated in the way they approach comedy, is is very poignant, if you will. I, I would agree with that. I mean, no, none more blatant, you know, when he when he play when he portrays a villain, it's usually someone of a political power or or as a king or something. I mean he he Bill loves to make himself the villain, and he's good at it. But he usually makes them shrewd and and daft. Um, just one more thing for the inquisition. Uh, the inquisition scene. I was convinced forever that one of the Jews that's hanging on the fucking walls was John Cleese for fucking ever. You know, the one who said, "I was sitting in a temple. I was minding my own business," and I, I was like. It sounds so much like John Cleese, but it's not. But I'm still convinced it is. Like <laughs> I know it's not, but I'm just gonna say. Hey, you say it is John anyway. Cleese. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Rico, just just to tie that off to something you brought up about uh, the 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 Muppet movie. Multiple people from this movie are in this film: Dom DeLuise, Mel Brooks, Cloris Leachman. Uh, and Orson Welles are all in this film, and then you if you if you count the fact that Richard Pryor, oh, and Madeline Kahn, sorry, I missed her the first time I read through, so Madeline Kahn, and then if you if go. you count the fact that um, Richard Pryor was supposed to be uh, Josephus, then he counts too. Here's something. Here's just two other things that I think you would find interesting, Rico, because I was like scrolling through the list to see if anyone else. Um, Tim Burton was one of the Muppet uh, people. Like he actually was one of the 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 puppeteers on that film. I I don't know if it was the same Tim Burton. It looks like the same Tim Burton to me. I mean, I know what really? Tim Burton looks like. It's the same Tim Burton that I really yeah. And then and then John Landis was the voice of Grover. So. I did not know that. Yeah, some interesting little things. I mean, I know that there's nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, but since you brought up the film, I was looking through the list, and that's like, oh, well, shit. Um, huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to the 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 French Revolution, and, you know, so first and foremost, Rico, you're you're not wrong. That, that, that king is very much... Uh, you know, whether, obviously not intentional, because this was long before... Donald Trump was Donald Trump, but let's be real. It you know it's good to be the pre it's good to be the king. Okay, yeah. Like, no one's better king than me. Okay, yeah. That's how he'd have it if it was his way. But anyway, that's a different conversation too. Um, but the that that whole sequence, I actually have a pretty funny story to tell because of one of the characters in that sequence, and and and. You both will appreciate this, Rico. I think I've shared some of this with you privately. Not, and it's not anything I'm embarrassed about. Just never anything to bring up on the show before. But I used to live in a pretty small town, um, uh, a town called Collingswood, and and I'm looking up right now. But I believe its total population is like four thousand people. Like it's not 
a lot of okay. So right now it's okay. So as of 2018, it's 13,000. I would say it was half of the half at the time. So we'll say around 6,500 people that were living in the town when I was there. Um, yeah, they fucked a lot. <laughs> well, no, they they they've upgraded the um, the main street with a whole bunch of restaurants and stuff, and they've upgraded the school. So I think it's drawn a lot of people in. Honestly, um, is why I think the population <laughs> increased. Although you could be right, and considering you almost made just beer out of her nose, I think that's a I think that's a victory. So, um, but regardless, so they every year they do a. Um, they do a holiday parade, and then they also do a um, Mayfair where they, they they block off Main Street. And for like 20 or 30 blocks, there's there's a car show, and there's tents set up, and you can buy crafts, and, it's all, and there's food. And it's just, it's just an all-day event on a Saturday. And the business association is the one who puts that together. And I used to work for the head of the business association when I was like 13, 14, 13 to about 17, 18, somewhere in that window is when I was working for the guy. And so on, when they had these events, I would, I'd be working. He, he, would, he would have me on there. And the first Mayfair that I worked, where um, I was basically his lackey that day. I was following him all, everywhere he went. I went, and you know, and about halfway through the day, because people didn't, some people didn't know who I was yet. They were like, "So who's this? Who's the the kid following you around?" And without missing a beat, he turns and goes, "Oh, he's my piss boy." Garçon de piss. Right, and and I had never seen the film yet. Like I'm 14, so I had never seen this fucking film. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what he was referring to. But it became a running gag for the entirety that I worked for him to the point that, like, when I was getting older, instead of me following him around all the time, he would give me a walkie-talkie and send me off to do projects. And then if he needed me, he'd call me. Well, instead of saying my name over the walkie-talkie, he'd be like, "Oh, piss boy," and and it would just be, you know. That would that would be okay. I need to talk to CJ, and that would be so. That was like this ongoing thing. So when I finally saw the film and saw the bit, and and he explained to me where it came from, so I knew to expect it at some point in the film when I first watched it. And so, for nothing else, this movie's gonna hold reverence for me for that because it's such a fun memory from my childhood. That as great as the movie is, and it is. That alone would make me love this movie, if that makes any kind of sense, you know, because it, it and it just takes me to that that moment in my life that I will never forget. Hopefully, <laughs> so. I'm I'm with you, man. And Mel Brooks, for all of us, it, it it it's we all have like, oh, we love his movies, but there's for me, I would argue there's always one particular scene of any of his films that is hits us closer to home than any of them. For me. It's Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's not like it's not the whole film, which the whole film is great, especially when you're like six years old and you watch it because it's like it's Robin Hood and Maid Marian and there's cleavage and there's sword fights and what the fuck and blah. And there's Dave Chappelle and sneakers and blah, blah, blah. For me, it was the fact that I laughed so fucking hard with my dad mm. and we rewound the segment repeatedly like 12 to 15 times where Dick Van Patten, another Mel Brooks regular comes out as the Abbot 
<laughs> and everyone's saying, good morrow, Abbott. Good to see you again, Abbott. And then a fucking Luke Costello look-alike, sound-alike says, hey, Abbott, made me piss myself laughing so hard with my dad. You know, it, to have that kind of moment with a parent and to see something that makes them laugh uproariously and it's also the same thing that makes you laugh is a pretty special moment. Yeah. Because not many six-year-olds were fucking laughing their asses off at Abbott and Costello. But my dad was showing me Abbott and Costello. So a lot of kids, I mean, I watch Disney shit too, but I was, you know, I would much rather put in Abbott and Costello meet the killer over Bambi, you know, or, or, or you know, so to have that moment just, it was almost like it was a joke meant for me and my dad and that's that's, why yeah and that's an awesome moment buddy i'm I'm excited that you guys have that i will say he forgot it (laughs) i'm sure he did i i love ron but i'm sure he did (laughs) i will say that my absolute mel brooks moment will and always is going to be like spitting that fucking great pit out and just it's good to be the king and it's always gonna be it's good to be the king because I came up underneath a guy that was 11th or 11th century ecclesiastical jurisdiction. So everything that went into canonical law very much went into the right of kings. And so any time in history that I discuss a king, and even on my own show when I discuss a king, I always preempt that with, it's good to be the king. You know, that is the action... That's looking at that's the most prosaic statement into anything that you're going to study in divine law and right of kings. It's best summed up by Mel Brooks. It's good to be the king. But that's the ultimate irony is that it's not always good to be the king because he plays a double. They're doing a whole man, the iron mask double shit. And. They fucking are about to ex- execute the king. See, I, I like, love that. I'll you, wait for the Nova King. I, <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you went to the Iron Man in the Iron Mask, and obviously the movie I'm about the reference came out long, long after History of the World. Like I'm, I'm aware of this, but like my brain immediately went to Dave mm. because it's very much the same. Except they're not coming for his head, but it's the same idea of this lowly piss boy level character. You know, doubling the king. Yeah, it's not but it's identical twins. Kind of, but it's also something that kind of follows in the monastic history. There's always, especially in France, there's always that. Um, you know, it's it's not not based on certain mythology, and you're going to go back to Louis Couture's for that, of course, instead of the 16th who were beheading in this movie. But it's. Um, it's interesting, and that's even funnier because it's a bigger callback. Like, he's clearly a student of history in and of itself, which I just absolutely love. Everybody sure. that was writing this movie. Can no, I that, that, tell yeah. you guys the fact they were still doing guillotines in the 70s? So, like, the whole guillotine sequence was not that. I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes, people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouthfeel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. 
Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at SAIC.com slash cloud. Like ancient history. I, I don't know if it's true, but I actually read that 1977, the year Star Wars came out, there was the last guillotine execution September in 10th, France. September 10th, 1977, Hamida Jabinu, I can't say it. Jess, if you know it and you can say it, go for it. But I, what? Jabroni? No, no, it's, it's, it's complicated. Here, I'll put it in the chat for you, buddy. But, uh, that's not what I wanted to do. I couldn't say this name, though. But yeah, he, September 10th, 77 was the last, the last beheading in France. Anyway, I don't know if that's. Which meant. Three years later, four years later, four. he's doing yeah. history. Four years later, he's doing the history of the world. That's got to be like fresh. The wound is a little fresh, so to speak. Yeah, good luck with that one, Hamida John Doobie. No, is that is? I don't think it's that simple. Maybe it is, but all right. It's, it's too well, many... If I say it enough times, then the fucking earth will shatter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's pretty damn close. I will tell you that. I, I figured if you I knew. I was going to pronounce it. Yes, Rico's got how you would pronounce it in English, actually. It's Hamana Hamana. Hamana 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 Hamana. That, that's what the character's name of Mel Brooks made him. That would be the character's name if if he was in, in this movie. Um, this poor guy was like... The last guy guillotined, like, legally, and we're just like, hamana, 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 like, we're doing a fucking honeymooners, Jackie Gleason joke. Oh, uh, like, that's Poor great. guy. Um, but yeah, that, that, you're not, Jess isn't wrong about the, you know, the, the danger in it, you're talking about the, I mean, the whole, the, the over, um, the excessiveness of it, too, I think is appropriate for what they were trying to portray. You know what I mean? Like you were saying about the king and just grabbing people and, you know, they, you know, he yells gangbang over a, 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 a speaker. He jump the queen. No, jump and the then he, he does say gangbang at one point. Oh, he does. That's yeah. right. Which When it gets up. That's when it. You, yeah. When you, you rewatch that part. You realize only one guy is humping the queen. They're all just humping each other. Yeah. And you're like. Which is also a commentary on France at that time, which is also well, the, the, fantastic. The, the, other, the other thought I had is if you look at the board, and, uh, and hear me out because this, this makes sense. If you, if you look at the board right before they all jump on the queen, the queen for the. The, the black piece is, is still there. She's just standing there, and you got to think she's going, thank God it's not me. You know? <laughs> you know but he not- also does that pile-on. It's also a pile-on nod to the hat of uh, Marie Antoinette's sort of wantonness, if you will. 
okay. which is largely a myth, but there's also that preconception that Marie Antoinette was a particularly loose woman, whereas she was not, but mm. it got in the course of the oh, terror, she was, it gets spread around. You're saying she was tight? Oh, yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's probably, you know, according oh. to France, loose, but it was, it was pretty tight, man. Like, <laughs> she's um. in it. Um, she is from Austria, so I assume, like, oh, there has yeah, to be well. a certain window of unapproachableness, if one will, underneath the corset. I even love the fact that Mel Brooks says the name Marie. When he goes up to a woman, kisses her on the tits, like, how's it going, Marie? He does it like a New York mm. guy. Marie. How's it going, Marie? And like, But to go with your whole thing with the queen, after they all get off her, like, all right, she's giving us, give her some ass. She's been so good to us. And then he immediately goes off to another woman. The queen looks pissed off. Like, she's just like, she looks kind of like, oh, no more attention on me. And she fucked off. It is off. Like, I'll such a ridiculous commentary on, like, especially when you get to 14, 15, 16, when you're going down that line in, in the French Revolution. God, they kind of nail it. They kind of nail the double standard, oh, everything yeah. from the jealousy. Like, he actually really does a great job of highlighting in the most outlandish and comedic way, of course, a lot of what was going on in France at that time, yeah. which also makes me laugh. And CJ, you actually brought up one of the another great Mel Brooks legend. There's actually two I want to bring up, but Cloris Leachman, who's still alive. Yep. Like Betty White gets all the fucking praise for being alive. Cloris Leachman should get some fucking praise. Like she did a great job on. Uh, I think it was a roast of Charlie Sheen. She was on one of those. It's not the Dean Martin roast, but it's those Friars Clubs one that they were doing on Comedy Central. And I think it's Charlie she Sheen, and she got up. She got up there and killed. It was awesome. Oh, she's she has killed it every single time. I mean, Frau Blucher. You know, like we. It's synonymous. Like, Cloris Leachman, I've always kind of looked at as, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but she's kind of like the mean Betty White. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Um, I, see, that's what that's a show I want to see. I want to see Betty White and Cloris Leachman, <laughs> just two old fucking ladies, you know, in an apartment during 2020 and during COVID. Show me that mother. That would be genius. Now, uh, just to, to to get you um data here, Rico, Cloris Leachman, yes, still alive, as you said, no no arguments there. Born in nineteen twenty six, April of yep. twenty six. Betty White, born in January of twenty two. So not that you know the four years makes a difference, but we're talking about a four year gap here. So Betty does have Cloris by at least at least a high school. Um. <laughs> They're both older than Mel Brooks, and I thought Mel Brooks is trying to actually become the 2,000-year-old man. Mel Brooks is Ju June 28, 1928. Uh, I'm confirming, but I think you're right about that. Because he's one, his birthday is one day after mine, and he's 10 years before my dad. Wait, what did you say? June 28, 1928? Nope. What 26. Really? 1926. Fuck. You had the date right, just the wrong year. It's June 28, uh, 1926. Look. Look, they all—they will all be the first to say 
It doesn't matter how old we fucking <laughs> are. So, but Cloris Leachman gets a lot of praise as, uh, oh, fuck, I don't remember her character's name in the history of the world, but. Uh, hold on. Uh, Madame Lafarge, is that right? I believe that's it, yeah. Um, just the little things about, like, how they comment out they're so poor, they don't even have a language, they just have a fucking shitty accent, you know, and ho, 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 and then they, she, she, um, she's like, I'm so poor, I don't even have any, uh, I lost my knitting, and she's just doing the same knit, or the same string, just over and over and over again, and she's like, we have no dignity, and then she stabs her titties with the fucking knitting pins. And they hear a pop and a um, just just fucking amazing. But Harvey Corman, Harvey Corman was another amazing Mel Brooks um, standard. High anxiety, Dracula didn't loving it, Blazing Saddles, um, and I've always been amazed by his, you know, because we knew his voice before we ever saw his face. Like, if you ever watched the Flintstones, he was the Great Gazoo. Mm. And then you see him, and he is exactly what his voice looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like, his face matches his voice. And I, I was always a big Harvey Corman fan in the Mel Brooks films, because he always played the villain. He was always a bad guy, and he was always, a, he was always the secondary antagonist, or the first antagonist, or the 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 second in command, but still ultimately the first antagonist, like in Blazing Saddles. Um, but they always, sometimes they threw a pun on his name, like his name in this is Count Demonet, but everyone says, Count Demonet, Count Demonet, Demonet. Like, my my favorite part about that, though, was the time that he's talking to the, the girl that shows up for the king, and he fucks up his own name and then corrects himself. Monet. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's 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 a uh, a reference to Blazing Saddles because he has a name, uh, Hedley Lamar, and everyone calls him Hedy Lamar. He's like, now Hedley, like he he's always correcting people. But the uh, I can't I don't know his name, but the actor who's in the the stagecoach with Harvey Corman in History Little Part One, who's the kind of I don't know. I don't know what his character is supposed to be. I don't know if he's a ballless gay Frenchman. I don't know, but I think the actor is like Andreas something. It's something fucking greaky uh, as shit. I'll I'll look that up in one second, Rico. But the thing I find interesting is that, that Harvey Corman, as you you mentioned him, just and I only bring this up because you you mentioned it on Get Vocal this past week, and I think Jess you did as well. He was actually a, a voice on What a Cartoon. Really? Yeah, he played. Uh, Oh rats, from Oh rats, right. rat in a hot tin can. I, I it doesn't tell me shit, but I thought, I'll, I'll have to look it up. I think the mostly uh, what a cartoon episodes are on YouTube. Jess, you sound like you were going to say something. No, I'm just listening in, and I'm very very interested by all of that. I'm just enjoying the what a cartoon reference that we had earlier. So, like this week, uh, we lost you. <laughs> Your your voice, kind of, your the audio kind of took a piss in the bucket. Yeah, Rico, I think I got him. I I think if I'm seeing this right, it's Bernays. That's got to yeah, be him. Is the character, yeah, yeah, and the actor is Andreas 
Vasinis. Vasinis. It's a weird spelling. That's why I'm. It's it's he, he's Greek as shit. So that's mm-hmm. that's why. Yeah. Um. But I, I've always tried to figure out. I was confused by their relationship with him and Count the Money because it seemed like they were a couple, or I guess they're just friends. But like he's. No, I, like when, I, you know who yeah, I, I think. I, I never he, understood. It. I think he, it might even be a count t- or a tip of the hat to the Duke de Orleans and uh, the. Oh shit! Now hold on, the Chevalier. I mean, they mention a later Chevalier, of course, in that. But I think it may be a more of a Louis the Fourteenth reference than a Sixteenth in that case. See, I, so but I mean, that's a common that's a common thing and a common trope in that men would marry women, but they were, in fact, homosexuals that had a relationship that both the women were okay to, and the women yeah. were mistresses in the French court. It's it's kind of things were very fluid in the French court, and I think that's kind of maybe what a tip of the hat is to there. What do you got? I, the, the, go ahead. I was gonna say I would. I would. The equation I would have given it is Burns to Smithers, like he was Smithers. Whether yeah. he's, you know, that's that's how I saw it. Sure, I can I can understand that, but even the the line where he's just like they're talking about balls, and then Countabody says, "At least I have mine." Like, mm. just, I, I don't, I, I didn't understand why Bernays... Well, yeah, the, the, the sequence, the sequence in the, in the carriage, I would agree with you, makes it seem like they're a couple, but as the, as the, the whole, the whole uh, French thing continues and you see them, that, that becomes less apparent to me. Anyway, do you know what I'm saying? And it feels more of that Burns Smithers. I would say that in that court, the more effeminate the person was, even then, in a very fluidly sexual court, the more effeminate you were, again, the the more kind of play to the comedy of the fact that I think the lack of balls character there is a kind of a tip of the hat both to modern culture and like, you know, a twink and a bear, but it also existed there in French culture. And okay. so I think it's a play on both, actually. I can see that. I, t- I took it literally, like he was castrated. That's how I oh, took it. no. No, no. Well, I think, I mean, that's a possibility. You you never fucking know in France uh, what anybody was playing with or what they'd been, you know, you never know in history what anybody's been punished with. But I'm going to assume it's both a reference to modern culture and to fluidity of gender that went into a French court. Like it was acceptable, but also it might be the butt of a joke at any given time as well. Don't get saucy with me, Bernays. That's one of my favorite well done jokes. I, uh, yeah, I listen, as we've been saying throughout this whole, this whole thing that there's, there's really not a flaw, a lot of flaws. Like Rico, one of the things you and I do when we when we do do one of these deep dives into a movie is we tend to pick them apart. And we're re- I'm really not. There's not a whole lot to to pull apart. You know what I mean? Well, I, I will add the fact that this was one of his least successful or critically lauded films. Like it at the time. At the time, getting, yes. At yeah. the time, it was getting butchered. Um, it's a they were saying it's it, it's a it's cult. consistent. You know. Yeah. It's a cult classic well, now, though. I mean, I would argue that all of his films, as oh, some sure. form, a cult following. Even Dracula Dead and Loving It, like I fucking love that fuck 
when I was a kid and, and, you know, Spaceballs was not that successful when it came out. Right. It's successful as shit now. Right. You know, but, but I would also argue that maybe Mel Brooks always, and I will agree for a film of his, this one was pretty critically reviled and it's still not a big hit today. Like I think Rotten Tomatoes has it as a 62%, which I think is ridiculous. If anybody would ever listen to Rotten Tomatoes, which they shouldn't, but, um, it's hey, you're, you're, you're stamping, known. Jess, you're stamping on our livelihood here. Don't be. <laughs> well, I, 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 I do tend to agree with her in the sense that I don't give Rotten Tomatoes that much of a. Oh, I was like just making follow. a joke. I was making a joke. Like, I, I, I acknowledge it, but I think the fact that it takes, it, it, it does take away from movies. Like when people see a, a Rotten Tomatoes score there and it's low, they're less likely to want to see it. Whereas I'm like, fucking watch the movie and make an opinion of yourself. Agree. You know? Agree. Yeah, agree. Um, um good. It yeah. just takes a hit, and I think it's actually one of Mel Brooks' better films. I think it's solid all the way through. You will laugh at it no matter what. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, Jess, just to your point, now hear me out before you react, because. I know you well enough to know, Jess, so bear with me a second here. But Rotten Tomatoes, and again, I'm not saying we should, you know, live or die by these these numbers here, but Rotten Tomatoes has it listed at 58%. Now, that said, something that Rotten Tomatoes added in the last, like, I think it's two years, is the audience score. So the audience, the, the fans can also rate on it as opposed to critics. The audience score is 81%. So there's... There's a pretty stark contrast, I think, in to to the point that we're all making that people like us, you know, love this film, whereas the critics don't, you know, so. Uh, that's also my thing. I never pay attention to a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. I always go with the audience score, which was going to be my follow-up. And my, my follow-up would Sorry. be, I think, right, <laughs> fairly high on an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. But again, so, that's usually what I go by. Sometimes they're fucking vastly so off the mark, it's ridiculous. Like some things I want to... <laughs> some things, you know, I just want to like, oh God, I'm done. I'd rather read a bullet than watch 10 more seconds of that film. But I think for the most part, that that is a fairly accurate score usually an audience score and i think in terms of mel brooks films yeah it's a solid b i, I would even hide it uh, even a solid b plus no it's no young frankenstein but then again that was also a little bit of a gene wilder film and yeah. then again you know it's no blazing saddles but i think it's a solid b plus it's you'll laugh i am I, mean, I, I would god rico please. i would definitely i would definitely rank history of the world for myself personally, higher than Blazing Saddles, I think Young Frankenstein is probably the any kid, any kid or adult can watch that film. Whereas there are certain movies, certain Mel Brooks films, where I would maybe be a little like, ah, I think you're a little too young to see Blazing Saddles. You know what I'm saying? No, like, I agree with that. I would never let my kid watch Blazing Saddles yet, but she watches Young Frankenstein all day, every day. I mean, Marty Feldman's a laugh across the ages. You, you know, I would. I think there's like the the middle ground is like another of his excellent films, a silent movie. Yes, 
and silent movie is great for a kid, but there are some adult jokes in there. But it may go over their fucking it head. It goes right over their head, man. Yes. Like, they, they don't register that. Whereas I wouldn't necessarily let her watch History of the World. I don't let her watch History of the World. Dude, just I saw... It's all even, over the head. Even just watching Robin Hood Menetites and Dracula Dead loving it, I had such a huge erection at a, such a young age for Amy Yazbek. The fact that, like, Mel was constantly showing off her cleavage... I, I was in love with Amy Yazbek forever. Not to mention she was also in the movie The Mask. And I, so, like, yeah. 1996, once I was aware of who the fuck she was, she was like, those, those are the three fucking movies that I was just alternating and be like, wow. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just two fifty. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. And what? What's wrong with me? What? Am I sick? What's going on between my legs? So, thank you, Mel, for for making Amy Yasberg popular. Um, Welcome to early sexuality studies and early sexual education. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in critic either, Jess. I'm with you on that. And a lot of these, uh, I'm looking at some of the critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and most of them fall into the question I brought up of the cancel culture. Most of people calling for it to just be, just make this movie go away, essentially. Um. But there's one here, and that's going as recent as, like, Mar- May of this year, and there's a couple, Roger Ebert, which, fuck him, because I think he's, I'm always going to attribute a lot of that to groupthink, and yeah. I don't believe in groupthink. There, there, is, there is one on here that I absolutely love, and it's a positive review, and it's from 2005, and I want to give credit to the person, because I think it's awesome. The guy's name is Widget Walls. From need needcoffee.com, which I've never heard of before, and I don't care with all respect to him. His quote, his <laughs> review is the fact that there has not been oh sorry, the fact that there has been no part two is ample proof that God hates us all. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's <laughs> that says everything. That's all you really need to say. I think. I think it's. I'll go even further. The fact that if there is a God, he's definitely Jewish, and he was offended. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, let's 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 quickly talk about the the previews for the part two that never took place, and then we'll we'll wrap up and get out of here. Well, can we talk about the part two that never took place, and that it's hilarious? Um, there was never supposed to be a, t- a part two, right? And I think that's also a hilarious joke by Mel Brooks. Like even in interviews, he'd always be like a part two. No, but maybe a part four, which yeah. I think is just an amazing joke. It was always, I mean, the joke is in the title itself, which it's I brilliant. think is an amazing thing. Uh, again, I can't say enough good things about Mel Brooks if you haven't gotten that from this <laughs> entire podcast. No, no, we didn't. I didn't pick up on that, Jess, really. Um, thanks for clarifying. Um, <laughs> um, but in, in in all seriousness, like, the the everything from 
you know, Rico, you referenced it earlier, and so did you, Jess, about Hitler on ice, and then, you know, Jews in space, which is clearly a ripoff of The Muppet Show from Pigs in Space, you know. I was going to say, he made that movie later, one could argue, with Spaceballs, like, whatever. Yeah, no, I, (laughs) you know, no, it's funny you say that, Jess, because I was actually thinking that when I was watching this last night, I was like, yeah, that's, that's essentially what Spaceballs becomes, but I don't think he... And and maybe as far as he wanted to take that until he finally came up with the idea for the full film, who knows? Um, well, I would but, even argue that's probably one of the first Star Wars references in cinema because yeah, Star probably. Wars was three years early. I mean, for, yeah. what came out the same fucking year as History of the World Part One? Empire. Right. Yeah. It, the credits even roll like the opening crawl. They do. Yeah, they do, for sure. So it it, um, it, it was nice. Rico, do you have something you want to add? Sorry, that yeah. was a really good point, Rico. You're exactly right. I think that's, honest to God, the first Star Wars reference. And, like, man, that's good. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention, you know, it shows a guillotine in 1977 and blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> I'm applauding you, okay? I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, most of the time when you usually applaud me, you go, la di da (laughs) I'm surprised we haven't gotten one of those tonight, to be honest. But there's there's another one. Like, here, I'll I'll go into how Mel shows how stupid and ridiculous anti-Semitism can be. The Viking funeral... That's not just a little gag of them lifting off the heads and it shows they have horns. That is a reference to the fact that, especially for anti-Semitics, they would say Jews have horns. Mm. Obviously, there's not that many Jewish Vikings, but it was, we're lifting up a hard yarmulke. We already look like fucking rabbis to begin with, Mm. and we've got horns. And to go even further, that the music that he used during the Viking funeral is from one of his earlier films called The Twelve Chairs, which is underrated as shit. It's not laugh out loud funny, but it's funny and it's dramatic and it's it's, it's, it's low key like statement funny. I would yeah. say it's 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 his stab at a real like straight film with some humor thrown in and. The music is from the Twelve Chairs, which is set in Prussian Empire, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, so the John Morris score, it, it just goes. That's my that was my point for earlier is that John Morris does where men we're men in tights, but he also does this moody, fucking Russian heavy shit. So I've always it's been a like big champion. Of almost, course. I would agree that that Viking funeral is almost like making fun of the Tool Society, and I assume that quite a few of your listeners are going to know what goes into that, like the founding uh, deal with the Nazi ideology and and Aryanism, and that it's making fun of that exactly. It's a point of fact of making fun of that. Oh, if we take off our helmets, though, don't we look like ascetic Jews in a way? Um, so yeah, uh, everything with Mel Brooks is always multi-layered, which I greatly appreciate. Like there's something new you can laugh at every single time you watch. I, I am actually considering just going online and buying Dracula Dead and loving it. Cause I think it's the only one of the songs I don't have. Like, 
I don't have that one. And believe it or not, I don't have men in tights because I usually just stream them. And I had to buy a new copy for this show of History of the World because I'd literally worn out my DVD of it. I bought, like, what, three months ago, I bought a DVD collection of, it's like a Mel Brooks collection. I got it for like 25, 30 bucks or something. And it's all the slim uh, DVD yes. cases worth every fucking penny. It's like the ultimate Mel Brooks, whatever. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking about buying it too. I thought I, that would be a great purchase. I it's a it. box set, right? Like yeah. the whole thing where you just pull them out in like DVD sleeves. It's, it's on it Blu-ray for it, 35, it, I think, if you're into Blu-ray, depending on your DVD or Blu-ray, but yeah. It it doesn't have all of his films. So no, no. It's it's um this is what it looks like. Yes, that's what I'm looking at buying. That's exactly Okay, so it comes with Blazing Saddles, High Anxiety, History of the World Part One, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Silent Movie, The Twelve Chairs, To Be or Not to Be, and Young Frankenstein. So it's missing Spaceballs, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Um and the producers, which I was actually surprised. I was surprised the producers is not here. I think all three of those make so money, so much money, probably on their own, that they're going to be slipped out of that. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Make sense. Not, not a lot Dracula. of people. No, but I think a lot of people. It, well, I don't know. You might be surprised on. I think it's a streaming service staple because I don't have I, cable. I was looking for Dracula Dead and loving it during the Halloween thing, so I could watch it. Yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. Oh, I mean, really? you could you can get on Amazon Prime to rent. But it's not like oh, there's, see, believe it I or not, there's not a lot of Mel Brooks on streaming shit. No, I mean, but then again, like on streaming shit, I'm also saying streaming is, and I buy a lot of shit on Amazon and just stream it to me. But then again, I'm a big believer in, I'm starting to go now to like DVD, Blu ray, or Blu ray collections because you miss out on all of that great collector stuff. You miss out on, Extras and stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, director, I am a huge lover of commentary, if there ever was. You're going to miss out on anything like that. Deleted scenes, bloopers, anything like that's not going to be included. And God knows, I love the blooper sequence for Young Frankenstein. Listening to uh, Gene Wilder lose his shit with that stole scene with Marty Feldman cracks my shit up every time that he just can't do it. Professional that uh, Gene Wilder is. That's how funny that scene is in that movie. I, I, I have to ask Jess, if you like commentary tracks, have you ever listened to any of ours? Cause we do them pretty frequently. Yes, I do listen to y'all show. Um, no, but I'm saying the when commentary. I can, when I have like days off, because I'm a guest <laughs> on a lot of podcasts, unfortunately, and I have to do like I'm constantly researching. God damn, I never have a day. But when I do have a day, a lot of times what I will do is pick something, whatever y'all are talking about, and I will watch it. And listen to it simultaneously. But, we, but we've actually done flat out commentary tracks, or we've watched the movie. That's what she's talking about. Oh, okay. That's what I'm oh, talking, oh, that's what you're about. talking about. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I missed... watched the movie okay. she... while y'all do them. Yeah. One of the earliest times we had Jess on, she told us that she didn't realize 
that we were doing a commentary of Aquaman because she's like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking That's about. Right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. 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 So, and so I didn't understand what was going on. And then once you all made it clear and it got through my, you know, intoxicated, Hey, well, fuck it. I'm going to turn on Aquaman and listen to these <laughs> two guys. And so a lot of like that stuff, like y'all got me through a lot of things. Well, actually listening to y'all's commentary. Which is why I asked the question before this show, are we doing a commentary right. no. or no. are we just talking about Mel Brooks and History of the World Part 1? Not for nothing. I'm glad we just talked about History of the World because if we tried to do a commentary with all of our interconnections, it would have been a fucking total. It would have been, yeah. But if we can get, if we can get, if we can get you a, a higher speed, Jess, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that because that would be fun. But anyway, I, listen, first and foremost... Um, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said at the beginning, it's the first proper episode we've had you on, and we've really had a lot of fun. It's been really, at least I have. I think I speak for Rico, but I'll let him speak for himself, too. But it's it's been a lot of fun having... (laughs) on and and having you as part of the conversation that we 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 absolutely love the support that you give Potescu um on a regular basis i i i see it all the time on social media and then you come to it you're at i get vocal almost every week and that just means the world to me but god rico say anything you want to say yes (laughs) absolutely Um, he's a check mark by it no, I love you guys. And like I said, you've gotten me to you've gotten me through movies that I would watch and I'd be like, I'm fucking done halfway through. But I'm gonna keep it on because y'all are doing a commentary <laughs> of the movie. And I'd be like, I wouldn't keep watching this, but I'm gonna hear it out because these two are talking about it. And you guys surprisingly get me through a lot of pop culture. I don't listen to a lot of pop, like pop culture, anything, or being able to talk about a movie doesn't really enter into my lexicon. Like I said, I'm either a real history guest on something and that I'm talking very serious, putting on my glasses, using my very serious historian voice, or I'm there to be a personality in support of my own podcast and I never get to talk about things I just like. So I'm very honored that you guys had me on one to talk about something I absolutely love but also if people don't come out to the get vocal and listen to this podcast they really should because it's talking about you talking about things I love and I have such a great time on Friday nights thank you well, um, is, is there a commentary that you would want us to do yeah, just for one? you yeah <laughs> just for me I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. We have we have some ones that we're thinking about doing. Um, I think one of them was uh, Holy Grail. One of them was Hook. We've also we've also had we've also had two. Good. I would absolutely love Hook. We could do Hook. Um, They we just had two. Listen, we've had one. We've had three listener requests actually. Two of which have been lingering for a while. One is pirate radio, or not pirate radio. Um, turn up the turn up the volume. Is that pump up the volume. pump up the volume with Christian Slater? And then the other one is Dogma. Those two have been lingering. The the Kevin Smith movie. And then we just we just got a request today to do House Party, the kid and play movie. So I would enjoy Dogma. 
if you guys did dogma, I would really enjoy that, actually. Yeah, dogma is a hard one because it's legit not streaming anywhere because of Miramax. So it's really hard for us to pull that one off. But we'll, Harvey, we'll try. Harvey Weinstein fucked a lot of things, but he yeah. fucked dogma a lot, too. Um, I mean, not mentioning the casting couch. God knows what else he fucked. Yeah. So, you know. Before, <laughs> before we get out of here, though, Jess, just for people who may not be familiar with you or, or Body Count, why don't you give uh, people that want to know an idea of what the show's about and where we can find you guys. Plug your shit, fool. Plug <laughs> <laughs> my shit. Should probably mention it from the top before I started rapping about as an historian and started doing these horrible one-offs during the entirety of your show. I am an historian and I host a nonsensical show called Body Count where I try to pick different topics um, I'm not ever going to do anything like 9-11. I always try to do stuff like I did the entire history of the Romanovs to an 1872 tale of cannibalism on a ship that makes the Donner Party look like pussies, you know? So <laughs> it's always, it's always, I try to draw from different things in my uh, JSTOR and an archival perspective that I think are interesting the only rule is that someone, and sometimes it's only one person, sometimes it's many people, die. And how interesting the tale is, we kind of go from there. Sometimes we have multi-parts, sometimes we have one-offs. We have a lot of guests that are doctors of history or even most recently um, literature that did cultural history and deaths in cultural history. And phenomena around that. So uh, it's really bizarre. And it kind of crosses true crime and history genre. And, you know, again, we try to show that history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. And we always try to correlate things to set events. And we always try to keep it weird is our, our primary goal. Um, and I am usually a lot drunker than I am for this <laughs> podcast because I will say I am known as the resident alcoholic historian because usually I, I get shit canned. And again, on my show, I tell somebody that has no idea about history ever these stories. So it's everything that may ensue from that, all the chaos that comes from that drunkenness, ignorance, and just history is a wild ride, y'all, as I think Mel Brooks has shown us with this movie. Well, I, if I can end the segment with a perfect modified quote, it's good to be the queen. Wait, what, CJ? You want me to say what? You want me to keep talking after we were talking for how many goddamn hours? Let's leave these poor people alone, okay? Fine. CJ wants me to do a proper closing, but I'm not going to say the same shit that he's always said for every goddamn other episode. If you don't like it, you can blame his ass. Listen to us on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your podcast. Or you could simply Google us. Though, if you're listening to this message, you probably did do that. Please don't forget to rate and comment. Seriously, we're not just saying that because we want to. We need your acceptance. If you want to agree with or yell at us, especially CJ, follow him and me and the show on Twitter. The show is at Podeskew. I am at Rance Rico. And CJ is at M underscore blade. Don't ask me why. I still don't know. Some secrets are best left alone. 
We want to thank Logo Mike for our logo. That's why we call him Logo Mike. If you want or need some good art, hit him up at logomike80 at gmail.com. That's logomike80 at gmail.com. It's worth it. You can help a starving artist today. We got to give a big sloppy thank you to Samuel Levins for all the original music on the show, especially our theme music. You can find Sam on Twitter at Samuel Lemons and his music on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Samuel dash lemons. When life gives you Sam lemons, you better pucker up. And finally, we have to thank all of you. Well, we don't have to, we want to, it really does mean a lot to CJ and I, that you guys have prioritized your time listening to us. We really, really appreciate it. Now, since I still have your attention, I think you have all been missing one of the best parts of every episode. The damn it. So therefore, you all have to listen to the damn it. Think of it as a MCU bonus credit scene. There, that fucking better? Your Majesty, you look like the piss boy. Damn it! It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. 